This episode is brought to you by Thorn, and I have some incredible news for any of you that are in the military, first responder, or medical professions. In an effort to give back, Thorn is now offering you an ongoing 35% off each and every one of your purchases of their incredible nutritional solutions. Now, Thorn is the official supplement of CrossFit, the UFC, the Mayo Clinic, the Human Performance Project, and multiple special operations organizations. I myself have used them for several years, and that is why I brought them on as a sponsor. Some of my favorite products they have are their Multivitamin Elite, their Whey Protein, the Super EPA, and then most recently, Cinequil. As a firefighter, a stuntman, and a martial artist, I've had my share of brain trauma and sleep deprivation, and Cinequil is their latest brain health supplement. Now, to qualify for the 35% off, Go to thorn.com, T-H-O-R-N-E.com. Click on sign in and then create a new account. You will see the opportunity to register as a first responder or member of military. When you click on that, it will take you through verification with GovX. You'll simply choose a profession, provide one piece of documentation, and then you are verified for life. From that point onwards, you will continue to receive 35% off through Thorn. Now, for those of you who don't qualify, there is still the 10% off using the code BTS10, behind the shield 10, for a one-time purchase. Now, to learn more about Thorn, go to episode 323 of the Behind the Shield podcast with Joel Totoro and Wes Barnett. This episode is sponsored by 5.11, a company that I've used for well over a decade and continue to use to this day. And 5.11 is offering you guys, the audience of the Behind the Shield podcast, a discount on every purchase you make with them. Before we get to that code, I want to highlight a couple of products that, again, I personally use today. One of the most impressive products they just released is their Rush Backpack 2.0. Now, for many of you, whether you're going to the fire station, the police station, whether you're traveling with your family, whether you're taking training courses, we have to fly, we have to drive, we have to take trains. And I have to say, I own multiple backpacks, many of uh, 5.11's different ones, but as far as a day pack, this one was the most impressive. There are so many different compartments. The way it sits on your back is incredibly comfortable. If you are a concealed carry person, there's also a spot for a weapon. So they've thought of multiple, multiple things that a man or woman would have to do on a daily basis. That is in addition to all of the products that I talk about a lot. Their uniforms fit for men or fit for women in the first responder professions. The footwear that they offer, whether it's the Norris sneaker or the Atlas system that is designed for foot health and therefore knees and back and hips and shoulders and neck. As a civilian, I live in a lot of their clothes as well. Their jeans stretch. You can actually squat down in them. We live in Florida here, so I wear a lot of their shorts, which again, very, very lightweight material. You can get it wet and it will dry almost immediately. And then moving to the fitness and tactical space, I used to have just a regular weight vest. Recently, I switched to a 5.11 vest and actually bought ballistic plates as well. My thinking was simply, if I'm going to have a vest, why not have one that protects me as well? And that TAC vest is trusted by law enforcement all around the country. So I mentioned they were going to offer you a discount code. So if you go to 5.11tactical.com and enter the code SHIELD15, S-H-I-E-L-D-1-5, you'll get 15% off not just that one purchase, but every time you visit their store. And if you want to learn more about 5.11, their mission, their products, then listen to episode 338 of the Behind the Shield podcast with the CEO and founder, 
Francisco Morales. Welcome to the Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing, and this week I am so excited to announce that this is episode 700. I cannot believe that it started hunched over a chair six years ago, and here we are, 700 episodes, 700 amazing human beings telling their story. Now, to commemorate this particular centennial, if that's the right term, by chance, one of my good friends came across my radar who I worked with in my last apartment, and that is Raphael Port. Now, to me, Raph is a perfect example of what it means to be an immigrant and make this country better. As you will hear, he was both a law enforcement officer and a firefighter in his native country of Brazil before moving to the U.S., training to be a firefighter, joining the department where I worked last, but also enlisting with the Navy Reserve and ultimately becoming a Navy corpsman working with special operations. So we discuss a host of topics from his early life in Sao Paulo, the differences between the Brazilian and American fire service, the importance of determination and resilience, mental health, and so much more. Now, before we get to this incredible conversation, as I say every week, please just take a moment, go to whichever app you listen to this on, subscribe to the show, leave feedback, and leave a rating. Every single five-star rating that you leave truly does elevate this podcast, therefore making it easier for others to find. And this is a free library of 700 episodes now. So all I ask in return is that you help share these incredible men and women's stories so I can get them to every single person on planet Earth who needs to hear them. So with that being said, I introduce to you my good friend, Raphael Port. Enjoy. Well, Raph, I want to start by welcoming you to my home. I don't think I've done, it's been several months now since I've done an in-person interview. So uh, thank you for driving all the way up from Orlando. Well, thanks for the invitation. Um, I'm very happy to be here and uh, it's great seeing you, man. So let's start at the very beginning of your timeline. You have such an interesting immigrant story. You know, you and I obviously work together in, in your current department. I would love to start at the very, very beginning of your journey in Brazil. So tell me where you were born and tell me a little bit about your family dynamic, what your parents did, and how many siblings. Well, I was born in the uh, city of Sao Paulo in Brazil, which is uh, one of the largest cities in the world. They have uh, close to 20 million people in the city and uh, 40 million in the, the state. Uh, my grandparents on my mother's side, they were from Portugal, and they actually were immigrants in Brazil. My grandfather fought the Second World War and in uh, 1950, because of the, the economy there, they, they moved to Brazil. So my mother was born in Portugal, but grew up in Brazil since she was three. On my dad's side, um, my great-great-grandfather, he was in the Royal Navy, and he was from Liverpool, actually. And on the last past century, um, he was in a mission in Brazil. He fell in love with this lady. And uh, here I am, the fifth generation born in Brazil. He never went back. So, um, I did the, the family tree, and uh, it's pretty interesting. I, got a, I compiled seven generations. 
So, yeah, um, I'm the youngest of uh, four children. Uh, my oldest brother was an officer in the military in Brazil. Uh, my second brother, he's a um, personal trainer in Brazil. He, he uh, specialized in Pilates. And uh, my sister went to school to be a, um, a teacher. And uh, I'm the youngest. So um, growing up in Sao Paulo in the, in the, in the 80s um, was very different from what it is nowadays without cell phones, you know, a third world country. Back then, we had a lot of struggles, and um, I came from a very humble family. Um, we never really struggled with um, to buy food and things like that, but we had a very humble life. And uh, my childhood was uh, very rough. Unfortunately, I was a very sick kid. Um, when I was um, 30, years, um, 30 days old, I had pneumonia, and uh, I almost died. So that was my first big challenge in life, you know. Uh, after that, I acquired uh, asthma and bronchitis. And uh, my entire childhood, I fought that to the point that when I was about in the fifth grade, almost every week I was in the hospital, um, taking shots, taking medication, uh, using nebulizer. And um, it was really hard. It was really hard going to school, and uh, I couldn't do a bunch of stuff that the other kids uh, were doing. You know, I couldn't play soccer because it would trigger an asthma attack. Uh, I had allergy to almost everything. I was allergic to dust. I was allergic to uh, uh, nuts. I was allergic to cat hair. So it was it's almost like I had to live in a bubble. And um, I, I was anemic. I was very skinny, and... Uh, was just fighting to be a normal child, you know, doing child stuff. So when I was about uh, six years old, um, it was a Sunday, we went to my grandparents' house as we usually would do on Sundays to have spend the day and have lunch there. And I remember spending the entire day playing uh, with my sister and um, in the yard. There was a lot of... Um, trees with fruits and I, I remember eating a lot of guava on that day so anyways uh, late afternoon I'm playing with my sister in, um, in the living room and I kind of um, hop into her shoulders and I, as I'm holding her her hands she she um, moved down and um, I fell from from her shoulders and uh, I hit my head on the ground and cracked my skull so I remember being transported by ambulance and I remember vomiting a lot of uh, guava, which till nowadays I don't like guava because it brings <laughs> me bad memories. But I remember not being able to see um, um, my mo my mother that was uh, carrying me, and um, I remember seeing like flashlights, the spots. Which later on, uh, I learned that as a medic, I learned that it was all signs from a uh, uh, head injury, you know, projectile vomit and all of that. So I was in coma for two two days. And um, I remember my mom went to this church in Brazil and uh, um, promised a, a saint of uh, impossible causes um, that if I ever um, would uh, be able to recover from that, um, we would go to that church. And I remember going that there a couple of months after. But anyways, uh, 
that was another big fight in our early life as a kid. You know, I, I have bronchitis and <laughs> I had pneumonia and now I had a cracked head. And um, so anyways, uh, I also took took me a long time to start to uh, when I when I became a teenager. I remember it was in um, middle school. All my friends were already changing their voices, you know, getting beard. And uh, I'm still like talking like a like a little little duck <laughs> you know as was i yeah i so, was a super late bloomer and uh there was a lot of bullying on that you know i'm like damn it why why is this happening with me why it has to be so hard you know um and i remember that i was like well i i have to be tough i have to be tough and i have to i had to almost to prove all the time you know the other kids that um uh, you know uh, i was a skinny but you know inside i was i was you know, a tough kid fighting all that. And um, I remember that I became a, a Cub Scout and then a Boy Scout, which I loved um, going to the, you know, the, um, uh, camping and um, learning how to tie knots and the first aid. But because of my asthma issue, a lot of times I couldn't go on camping with them, you know, and that, it was devastating for me. It's like, why? Why do I have to, to go through this, you know. So, um, when I was 12, I started to work. My my uncle had a, um, a butcher, and um, I was uh, going to uh, school in the mornings. In the afternoon, I used to go to his uh, butcher store to work as a cashier. And um, at the same time, my brother had a, a fruit booth in a green market. So on the weekends, I used to go and help him and work. And uh, uh, by the time I was on the last year of middle school, I never went to um, public school in Brazil, which they, unfortunately they're not that good. Kind of reminds me of another country. <laughs> but um, anyways, uh, I always went to public school. And when I was 14, I was already paying for for my, my school myself. And then uh, high school, I took a night class high school. I've never heard of this in the U.S. I don't even think they have. But anyways, uh, I worked during the day, and I went to high school at night. And uh, when I turned 17, I decided that I wanted to join the military. Um, my father's oldest brother, he's a retired colonel in the military in Brazil, in the um, military state police. And... Um, he graduated in this academy, which is a four years program. You get a bachelor's in military science and public safety administration. And he graduated there in 64. Uh, my oldest brother uh, graduated there in 86. And uh, I ended up graduating the same place in 97. So my brother was uh, the role model uh, to me. He was uh, my idol, you know, but he was... Uh, he was fun. He was smart. He spoke a different language. He was traveling the world. He he worked with the governor of the state. I want to be just like him. And when I was on the third year in the military academy, um, another big challenge came to my life. Um, my brother took his own life, and um, that was that was tough, you know. My superhero did that to himself, and I wanted to be just like him. And now what? Is that what's going to happen to me? So I'm trying to find out what happened, you know, it, it, and um, he, he never left the letter or anything. But um, we found out, we knew that he was depressed. He was not very happy with work and with his uh, marriage. And uh, 
Um, he was great to um, give um, tips and counsel people, but he was never really open to his own things. So I thought about um, giving up the, the military academy and, you know, it was a, a tougher year for me to get adjusted to the new reality, you know, who am I going to talk to now? Um, unfortunately, um, I had, um, my, my father was, um, was a great man, uh, but he had a lot of, um, challenges himself and, um, he was an alcoholic for many, many years. And growing up, I had to, you know, um, face all those problems. Um, he was violent at home and he would have not treat my mom well. And, uh, you know, um, but anyways, um, he was the father that I needed. He showed me uh, how to be a good man by showing me a lot of stuff that I I I can't do if I want to be successful. And um, he passed five years ago. I know he's, he's with God, you know. I love him. I miss him. But anyways, um, it was hard um, after that. I ended up graduating. Um, I decided to stay, you know. It, um, and I decided that... Uh, I was never going to allow to happen to myself what happened to my brother. And everything that I would do, I would do in honor of him. And I would always uh, push myself as hard as I could. So I became a police officer. Uh, imagine a uh, military sheriff's department, a state, state-wise. That's, that's the, the military where I used to serve. It's kind of like a National Guard here, which is a state-based, but you work as a military police. And then uh, as, a, as a deputy, um, you know, you take all the, the calls and you go to slums and, uh, you know, the rough areas, the nice areas. So anyways, I did that for about um, six years. Uh, the academy was a four years program, and then I, I did a three more as a cop. I worked in the Sao Paulo downtown. Again, it's a very high speed city. You know, there's a place there called a Crackland where all the addicted people are. And um, unfortunately, well, back then at least, there was a, um, we were having problems with the corruption and uh, uh, crooked cops and violence and drugs. And um, uh, that was another big challenge for, for me. I ended up arresting a um, um, couple police officers that were, um, they basically, they were drunk on uniform. I arrested them, and then I arrested a, a gang of drug dealers, and um, they offered me uh, money to bribe me. And uh, their lawyer was a retired cop. He was 72, so I, I freaking arrested his ass as well. I ended up getting a commendation for that, and... Um, uh, one of my supervisors there was a captain. Um, he was in charge of the undercover service there. And uh, I found out that one of the undercover guys were working on his part-time job. But on the day that he's supposed to be on duty, he was working in a different city. So I brought it to his attention, like, hey, Cap, you know, I found this guy. He's doing this and that. He's there right now. And i um, expecting that, well, we're going to take care of this. And he tells me, uh, don't mess with my guys. I'm like, no, you don't. You don't understand. This guy should be here, and he's not here today. Like, what? What? What part you don't understand? So he was actually the one hiring people to work for him. So I start to get threats from bad guys and uh, 
guys that were supposed to be good, but they were bad guys as well, and criminals, drug dealers, and uh, um, it was a rough time in my career, you know, um, I was uh, walking around with uh, two weapons, and uh, I wouldn't stop in the red lights, and uh, before I go home, I would uh, drive around the block twice to make sure, it was rough, so after that, um, I decided that I was going to um, uh, try to the fire, um, go work for the fire department because on the Sao Paulo State, the fire department is a division of the police department. So if you want to be an officer, you have to first be a police officer, which it doesn't make a lot of sense uh, to me at all, but that's how the system is there. I, I really hope that one day that will change. Well, it just makes you appreciate the job of a firefighter if you've been a cop for a bit. <laughs> that's that's right i know both both sides and uh i actually um make fun of uh, some police officers sometimes uh just because i've been there i know how it is you know i'm like what are you waiting for to come to our side but anyways um uh, I, I do appreciate what the um all the the law enforcement uh officers do you know um they're they're good they have a really hard task it's hard to uh, tell people what to do. You know, you don't write the law, but you have to enforce, even when you don't agree with them. And that's a tough job because people do not appreciate you. So I think I'll tell you this. From, from the interviews recently, one of the perfect examples of that is drug prohibition. You know, so many are realizing now that there's a lot of healing elements to some of these drugs. And then there's other ones that, you know, it's, it's a mental health issue. And the number of police officers that I've put to them, what is your perspective of the war on drugs? So many are like, it's it's an epic failure, but they still have to go and enact those laws until we force those laws to be changed. Yeah, well, they have, they have my respect. Um, I couldn't do it anymore. And um, luckily, eventually, I ended up transferring to the fire department. So in um, 1999, I tested for the the fire department and uh that is a physical education university uh ran by the the military um, police in sao paulo and i tested for as well so i ended up being approved and selected for the for the university and um, i did not pass the entry test for the fire academy well here comes another challenge they put um the class date uh, uh the starting date uh on hold and uh, they had uh, no idea when to uh, they were going to start. They were talking about canceling because of budget costs. And, uh, well, I was um, not going to the fire department. And uh, I was uh, not having a good time at the police department, you know, with all that. So um, at the same time, <laughs> uh, this is another thing that I didn't mention. Um, the, the fire academy was four years. Uh, I took a prep class um, to be accepted. It was uh, 14,000 candidates for 250 openings. And um, I was um, blasted to uh, be able to get one of them, uh, one of the, the seats. So I went there. And on the last year... Um, we had a class all day, and at night I signed up for a prep school to try for dentistry school. Uh, something I didn't mention. Uh, growing up as a sick kid, I always wanted to be a doctor, you know, because they were the people that would uh, take me, uh, help me when uh, I, I was struggling the most. You know, I was uh, 
uh, I couldn't breathe and they would have given me this nebulizer or talked to me. They were nice. And uh, I was like, wow, I want to be just like them. But unfortunately, in Brazil, the education system um, is not very good. If you, if you go to a public school and elementary school and middle school, you don't get prepared uh, well to take the entry test for the university. So the best universities in Brazil, they're public and they're free. It's not like here, they're public, but you still have to pay. And uh, the okay universities, they're private. So if your family has money, you go to a private school, you get a good basis. Now you're ready to test for a good public university. You, you will go for free. Now, if you, have, if you don't have that, uh, you will have to go to a, a private university. So I came up with this plan. You know what? I'm going to take a prep class. I'm going to join the military. Now they will pay me to go to school. And once I graduate, I, I will go to dentistry school instead of medical school. Because medical school, there was no other way to pass the entry test unless I would be able to study every day. Every day is a really, really hard test. And um, I had to work. I didn't have the time to, to study. So I kind of adapted my dream and um, I told myself, you know what? I'm going to go to dentistry school, which the test is not as hard. And then I will specialize in um, um, buccal maxillo, which is a head and neck trauma. And I'll be a, a surgeon in the, at the hospital, at the emergency room with a, a facial trauma. So... I was a second lieutenant, brand new, and I passed it. I was uh, accepted into the program, and I, I actually did it for one year. I took one year of dentistry in Sao Paulo, and after one year, I could not afford to stay in the program, which it, it broke my heart. I was like, wow, I'm an officer. Uh, I remember making uh, 1400 bucks per month, and uh, the monthly payment at the university was $1,200. Uh, bucks. So I had a 200 bucks to buy books, equipment, and gasoline. Actually, I, when I graduated, I had a nice car. And uh, all the, the, the guys from my class, they were buying brand new cars, you know, financing. I sold my nice car, and then I was the only guy driving a, a crappy car. But I was happy, you know, because I was like, you know what? It's just a car. I'll drive an old car, but I'll, I'll, I'll become a, a dentist, and, uh, and um, I'll, I will do surgery. So... When I had to um, leave the university, it was right at the same time when I was having problems with um, the police department and uh, um, I was accepted into the program for a um, physical trainer to get a bachelor's, but they put that on hold. I didn't make through the cut to go to the fire academy and I was getting threatened by a lot of people to the point that I would get calls and uh, they would say my mom's name and her address. And I was like, wow, this is getting dangerous here. So I talked to my, my boss there. He wanted to transfer me to uh, a city that was like 10 hours away from, from the, the capital. I was like, no, you know what? I'm going to fight, fight those guys. And they're like, what, what do you think? You think you're a superhero? You know, they, they will come and get you. So for the first time, um, I came to the uh, United States for a three-month break. And um, I went to, to Orlando. So um, I spent three months. After a month, I have decided that uh, I was not going back. I went to Disney. It was super cool to go to the park. You know, I grew up watching the, the shows in Brazil and uh, was my first time out of the country. 
And I was like, you know what? I'm not going back to that reality. You know, I don't want that. And uh, I called one of my friends at the police department. I'm like, hey, bro, just to let you know, I'm not going back. He's like, what? Are you out of your mind? That's a crime. Are you in the military? You know, you when you come back, they will arrest you. I'm like, well, they're not going to find me. <laughs> so in about 10 days, my buddy flew over to Orlando to visit me. <laughs> like, hey, I came to check on you. So he convinced me to go back. He's like, well, if you want to leave... You can leave, but leave from the use the front door. You don't have to leave the back door. I was just so frustrated and tired. That's why, you know, and after I talked to him, he convinced me that it was the right thing to do. So I went back, decided to um to resign and try something different. I was just frustrated. And uh, when I got back, they had to just open another test for the fire department. And we're like, okay, why don't you give yourself one last chance? Just try it, you know? And uh, I'm like, okay, I'll do it. And I passed. <laughs> so in 2000, I went to Fire Academy. The Fire Academy, there is a, the structure is a little bit different. Um, there are two ways to be a firefighter. Um, you start from, uh, from the bottom as a firefighter, which you go to uh, Fire Academy is a one-year program, at least in the... Uh, Sao Paulo State. That's or full, one year full-time? One year full-time, mm -hmm. yeah. And if you're not married, you have to live in the in the fire academy. They have dorms there. Um, or if you want to be an officer, you can go to the military academy, get your bachelor's, work as a police officer, and then go to the fire academy, which is a different program. 60% uh, of the class is on an engineering uh, university. You learn uh, chemistry, you learn uh, um, calculus, uh, you learn uh, resistance of fluids, um, mechanical fluids, resistance of materials, uh, how to uh, draw blueprints, how to inspect um, um, fire prevention, uh, prevention systems. And um, half of the class is in the fire academy. So the first six months, you ride with the battalion chief on an SUV in the back seat, just observing. Uh, on the second half of the program, you ride on the front, you take charge, and uh, the battalion chief goes on the back seat, just will stop you if you do something wrong or unsafe. So after one year, uh, I was a lieutenant in the fire department with uh, zero experience. You know, I had a, I was book smart, if, if you, I can say that, <laughs> which I don't consider myself book smart. But anyways, and um, one of the the battalions of the fire department in Sao Paulo State is dedicated for ocean rescue. So um, I ended up picking to go work on that battalion. So um, I got my orders, I reported to the unit, and uh, I had to go through um, uh, ocean rescue and uh, swim rescue class, which was three months. That was the best time of my entire life. So I became a ocean rescue lifeguard, a three month of the class, running, uh, swimming, um, paddle boarding, uh, training on jet ski, on four wheelers, and flying on the helicopter, and you know jumping out of the helicopter training. And um, I was uh, given the task to take care of the being charged of the ocean rescue in the city in the south of uh, the state, um, city with uh, seventy five thousand people. I had a about 30 lifeguards to cover um, the entire city. And um, 
geez, I had I had a good time. You know, I had a little truck, I had a jet ski, I had some um, uh, surfboards, I had a, this four wheeler, and um, I I managed to have a good rapport with uh, the mayor of the city. You know, I was always going to meetings, and uh, we were able to um, put in a practice a project that uh, it wasn't my idea. They had in the past, but they stopped doing it, which was uh, training the the surfers to um, teach them a CPR and uh, just uh, safety in general. So uh, we would have them that they they're local. They they good uh, athletes actually, you know, and uh, training them they could help us to prevent. Uh, uh, death by by drowning so uh on my first season there we were able to uh reduce the mortality rate there um i think a previous previous year was like a they had a 15 death in a year and uh we had a like three so they they really love me you know i went to some companies got some sponsorship and uh they put some uh, we put some banners uh, around the city, I'll help the fire department to save lives, come learn uh, uh, how to do CPR. It was pretty cool. You know, all those uh, young kids, you know, uh, they have their own tribe. And uh, so anyways, um, I got to, uh, I started to flying a lot with the helicopter squad as as a crew guy, you know, flying in the back. And uh, uh, we would have fly and work during the day, do uh, some cool missions, you know, we rescue some a um, lot of people actually and then at, at night we would hang out so um after t- two years in 2002 they opened a selection for a pilot school and they're like hey why don't you come and uh try out to become a pilot i was like are you kidding me man look at the life that i have here you know um i'm like no but look you're gonna be a pilot man you know helicopter you're gonna be on the front seat and i'm like uh, I don't. I don't know, man. I don't think I, I will do. And even if I take, I don't know if I can pass, man. That's tough stuff. And one of, one of my friends said, "Bro, listen. You, you're not getting. If you don't pass, it's fine. But for at least a week, you're gonna be in the city testing for us, and we're gonna be hanging out." I'm like, "Man, you. I like the <laughs> way. I like the way you think. You know what? Put my name on the list. So." The test actually, um, it was like a six month, it, t- it takes, a, that was a lot of process. You have to take a lot of tests and, uh, you know, they, uh, you have to interview with a psychologist and a uh, IQ test and a bunch of different stuff. And um, for my surprise, out of uh, 200 applicants and uh, there was uh, 20 openings, I was one of the 13 that made it to the final cut. Wow. So... 2002, um, I went to the helicopter squad school and I took class on the military police pilot uh, school, which is in um, Sao Paulo downtown. I was there for three months. And uh, at the end of the class, uh, everyone was uh, sent back to their uh, old units because uh, they don't have the openings. They were just uh, getting ready for when they had openings. They wouldn't have correct. So... When I went back to my unit, there was a new uh, commander there. And um, the way I was uh, received there was like, well, you're not a fireman. You're not a lifeguard anymore. We transferring you to a different place. And I was like, well, I am. I'm not a pilot yet. I went to school, but I'm not a pilot. Well, yeah, we don't have a spot for here for you anymore. So they transferred me to the, the fire academy to be an instructor, which was like almost two hours from the place where I was living. I didn't want to go. 
the mayor of the city actually um, heard about and he he called me and I'm like, hey, we don't want it to go. Do you want me to talk to the fire chief? And I'm like, you can try it, but I don't think it will change anything. So long story short, I ended up going to the fire academy um, as an instructor. I was there for for about two years. And, um, um, you know, every time in life that a something didn't go as I planned, and uh, I got uh, so frustrated and I was like mad at a the entire world and uh, mad at people and like why me why every time things to be have to be hard every single time james god told me after like he showed me why well it's because i have better plans for you mm-hmm. one door closes another one opens as you say yeah I, i'm telling you man every single time i can tell you exactly what i saw later what he showed me and uh, going to the fire academy was one of them. I didn't want to go work there. You know, I was having a great time um, in the Ocean Rescue Battalion. But when I came work there, um, uh, there was a, the, the colonel who was in charge really liked me because I spoke a different language. And uh, he was uh, planning on uh, uh, creating a, a fire lab in the fire academy. And uh, he had to send a team to England to do some studies and he picked me for that so i went to england and um before i stopped in orlando to visit an old friend in uh, 1999 when i was having the, the problems with the police department i came i i made some friends and i stopped here to visit and through a common friend i met i met this lady we start dating i go to england and um um on that trip, I added some vacation that I had. So uh, after I did all the, the studies there, I flew back to uh, U.S. And um, I spent um, five months with that, that, that beautiful girl, which ended up becoming my wife. So when my time was up, I had to go back to Brazil. We decided, well, we, we, we love each other. And um, why don't we just get married and come back live with me in Brazil? I'm waiting for my position at the helicopter squad, and uh, we'll live there. So she moved to to Brazil with me. And uh, 2004, she lived there for over a year. In 2004, I was called to go back to the helicopter squad to take one more class, which was uh, 45 days. They call the communications officer class. You know, you have one pilot, the other the other one in the front seat does all the communication. And uh, I, I got called to go to that school and uh, with the promise that... Um, uh, upon graduation, we would uh, get our spot. We were actually uh, going to start flying. Well, for my surprise, at the end of the class, we got uh, sent back to our units. And the colonel that I was friends with uh, retired. And I was uh, getting another officer. And they were talking about sending me to the police department. Because since I was not a firefighter, I was going to be a pilot. Uh, yeah, he has to go work as a police because he's going to be a, a military police pilot. So at that time, it was another big challenge. I'm like, why? You know, when I get close to accomplish something here, something happens. And uh, a couple of years after, God gave me the, the answer why that wouldn't happen. So um, her father... Um, my ex-wife father was working for Continental Airlines, and uh, he worked in the, um, 
in an airport in South Florida. He was getting transferred to uh, their hub in uh, Dallas, Texas. Um, her her grandfather had a, a Christian store, which um, her mom was the the manager. It was like a family owned business, you know. Grandpa was the owner, but he was like a Wizard of Oz. He was always he wouldn't be in the store. He would have run all the finances from home. And uh, she grew up in the store. So Grandpa calls us in Brazil and say, "Hey." Um, we need you guys here to help with the with the business. And I was like, well, I have my career here, you know, but I was so tired of all that. He's like, well, can you take a leave of absence and uh, come to uh, help us for a, a little while? And I did. You know, that's what ended up happening. I took a leave of absence and uh, I came uh, to help um, uh, with the store. And after a week... <clears throat> I was really bored. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. Surely not. <laughs> From what you just described to a Christian bookstore. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I love the idea, you know, of selling Bibles and shirts, but it's just not for me. It's retail, no matter it, what you're it, selling. It, exactly. And uh, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to die here, you know. And uh, I told my ex-wife, I'm like, I'm going right back to Brazil. And it's like, well, but you promised and you have to... To stay here, we're family now. I'm like, well, yeah, exactly. We're family. Let's go back there. I have a career there waiting for me. This is not a career. So um, her and grandpa asked me, like, well, can you give at least six six months? Can you stay a little longer until we find someone and find a way? I'm like, yeah, but I, I'm not enjoying the experience here. And they're like, well, why don't you try to become a firefighter here in Florida? And um, I was like, oh, I never thought about it. So in 18 months, I got my EMT. I went to um, uh, Red Cross Lifeguard. Which I got hired with uh, West, uh, West Palm Beach, um, a city of West Palm Beach. I was working part-time as a um, pool lifeguard, which, geez, it was, I was so bored. <laughs> yeah, after <laughs> hanging out of a helicopter doing uh, surf rescue. Oh, my gosh. But, I mean, I had to pay bills. And then right after I went to Fire Academy, paramedic school, and at 18 months, I got all my certifications, and I got hired by one of the uh, largest fire department in the state of Florida. Now, were you, you were a green card holder by that point, yeah? Uh, Not a well, citizen. I, I was not a citizen yet, but I, I'll, I'll tell you what happened about my green card. It was, <laughs> of course, it was not going to be an easy thing for me to get my green card. Well, the reason I ask is when I came out of the academy, so I've been in the States for a couple of years by that point, I couldn't test with City of Orlando because you had to be a citizen. They wouldn't accept green card. So I ended up in Hialeah. I think Orange County probably been fine as well. Most of them, you're okay. But there are some departments that you know, don't want you until you're a full, full-fledged full citizen, which is interesting being a, an immigrant because I'm the same person, you know, either way. You are 100% correct. I looked into uh, testing for Orlando, and I could not because I was not a citizen. But um, now that you're touching into the, the being an immigrant and uh, on the green card, so when we got married here and before we moved to Brazil, we applied for my green card. And we moved to Brazil. So um, when we came back, I found out that the um, paralegal that assisted us to fill out all the forms uh, was in jail for uh, forging weddings and uh, oh, for. Shit. And uh, I mean, my marriage was legit, but every case that he filed got denied. So 
my file was denied. So I contacted immigration. They said, well, you have to reopen your case. I reopened the case, paid some fees, and then was denied again. I'm like, why is it getting denied? Oh, the process was wrong. You have to reapply, not to reopen the case. So I reapplied again. They sent my work permit, uh, but my work permit arrived already expired. <laughs> I was like, geez, why? Why? And, you know, this, was, this was your work permit. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> but I couldn't work. It was expired. So uh, I applied again for a work permit. And uh, after, I think, a year, um, I ended up getting the, the green card. But when I applied for a paramedic school, it was pending. Uh, I w they told me that they would not let me graduate if I didn't have a, a, my um can't remember if it was my social security or my green card, which I ended up getting by by graduation. I was able to to graduate, but you know the feeling of well, I have to uh, put as much as I can into this program, but and, but not knowing if I was going to be able to graduate, it was it was not easy. You know, I was like, well, what if what if I don't get at the end, and then what am I going to do with all this time that wasted time? I don't think people understand the kind of uh, what's the right word the, the helplessness that is the immigration process like i initially married someone from the u.s you know it was a legitimate marriage um came here and uh initially the same thing i couldn't apply the to orlando i think it was a social security number thing so i had my green card i got that all that pretty quickly but then it's supposed to be about two i think it was two or three years on your pseudo probation before you can apply to to be a citizen and that just kept getting pushed back and back and back. So I had to go all the way. I think it was to, to LA. So maybe I was in California by that point to get a piece of paper that says, hey, it's still legit because your green card's expired. You try and travel. They're like, well, you can't come back in, you know? So, and then I even I remember going to, to California. This was a real kick in the face. California, being a fire, professional firefighter, working for the city of Anaheim. And I had to get my, what they call it, Class B, I think, so you could drive the fire engine. So over there, you need a special license. And so I take all my paperwork. Um, and again, I think this, I forget what it was, but it was around the same time. And DMV was like, no, you, you need to go and, and get this. And I gave them my current driving license that I already have. I'm working for a fire department. I'm looking behind me, and there's a lot of people that I'm thinking, you know, first generation maybe just came over here that are not having no problems at all you know and here i am literally wearing a uniform for this country and they wouldn't even give me this driving license until i went back and changed some of this paperwork so you know i came from a nation i didn't have to escape so i am so you know um, grateful for that but you know people think oh you just come over here and you do some paperwork and that's it as you said you're in limbo sometimes for years and years and years when you're doing everything right and you're serving this country and there's an american flag on your shoulder and yet the piece of paper that you need to stay and it's not a system that you can say hey you know hurry up i need this done you are the complete mercy of this bureaucracy so i just want to kind of interject that yeah i totally understand that you went all through, through all that work without knowing that you're, you know, going to be able to actually get the piece of paper at the end. Yeah, it's definitely a long process. And uh, most of the time you have zero control of, you know, as, as you just said, you're doing everything right. You have the right, but you have to wait. And uh, sometimes it's not easy to be resilient, to keep, um, 
you know, not um, pushing and trying and uh, to not give up. You know, um, everyone has ups and downs, and um, it's just not not really not easy to to keep pushing. But anyways, um, so I finally get my paperwork. Um, I'm, I was working uh, two jobs. Um, when I finished paramedic school, I took the night class, which it was a very challenging program for me. You know, um, although I spoke English when I moved to U.S., um, <laughs> this is going to be a little f sound funny. Uh, in Brazil, I took some English classes on a British language school. So um, when I first moved to U.S., I kind of sounded like British a little bit. So you spoke real English, is what you're saying. <laughs> right? <laughs> so I used to say, I'm pleased to meet you. Shall we go now? Yeah. Oh, uh, people w used to say, dude, wh where are you from? Are you from the Caribbean or one of those islands there, <laughs> British islands? I'm like, oh, no, no, no. I'm from Brazil. Yeah. I'm like, oh, you speak special? No, it's Portuguese, mate. <laughs> so with time, in, instead of um, saying better, water, you know, I kind of tried to blend in. And I would say better, water. Yeah, but it's W-E-D-E-R. <laughs> That's <Wow>. right. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, um, so um, paramedic school was very challenging. I was working for an ambulance company um, as, a, as an EMT and working part-time as a boring uh, lifeguard job and I go into from Monday through Friday and then every Saturday we had a, either clinicals or we had a rides so it was very challenging um but I made it so um it was uh it was it was great and um like I said after the 18 month I got hired with the um this department and I was like wow that's awesome you know I think my life will start um, flowing again and then at that time they called me from the military in Brazil because I was still on a leave of absence right which can be up to two years and then uh, they called me from the helicopter squad the colonel in charge of the unit said uh, hey we're bringing your class uh, now you can start flying uh, just come back and uh, at that time my heart wasn't there anymore you know when I told him he couldn't believe it. he was like excuse me yeah, you know how many people would like to be on your spot? And uh, I remember telling him, well, you know how many people would like to be on my spot now too? And he like, well, you you know what? You are a young, young man and um, you have a bright career ahead of you. I think it's uh, very selfish of me to try to convince you to come back. We lose a lot, but they're gaining a lot there. Just do me a favor. Uh, never forget your roots and uh, always carry our flag with you, although you will have a new flag. But uh, don't forget your roots and uh, you can always come back home here. You know, you can always come to visit. You have a family here, which was awesome. You know, that sounds like a real leader to me. Yeah, it was it was pretty cool. That conversation It was hard touching, you know, because uh, at the same time, I wanted to stay, you know, all that effort that I put in my entire life there. I spent 14 years in the military there. And uh, it was a very tough decision, but, you know, I, I had made it here and, uh, you know, through the, the classes and I was, you know what, this is what I'm going to do. Now, it's God telling me that you're not going to be a doctor, but you're going to be a medic and you're going to be able to do exactly what you always wanted. And, uh, but it will be in a different, different uh, country, different language, and uh, you're going to be able to help people with, other, uh, with the Portuguese because uh, there is a lot of... Uh, the Portuguese speakers that lives in Florida, you know, big community. 
And uh, you're not you're not gonna be a doctor, but you're gonna have you, you'll be able to do what the doctors do in Brazil, at least on the uh, pre-hospital setting. Well, just to interject as well, I had a dream of being a firefighter and being a doctor, and ultimately also being a stuntman. It's funny because I ended up managing to do all of those. But with the doctor, when I went through the educational route, I realized, oh, I don't think I want to be a doctor doctor because you know i knew a family physician who was amazing you know but my vision of a doctor was he sits behind a desk and we line up in the waiting room and we go in one at a time and they prescribe stuff and off you go fast forward just you know just to kind of parallel your story i end up in the u.s i'm told i couldn't be a firefighter in england because i'm colorblind quote unquote which is complete bullshit i was color deficient so i find myself here all of a sudden i become a firefighter I become a paramedic and then like just like you said Ah, I never actually wanted to be a doctor doctor. What I wanted to be was the person when the shit hits the fan that shows up as, with a team and mitigates that disaster. I don't want my patient to be wheeled in on a gurney. I want to be cut them out of a car or cut them down from a tree and work them there in the street. So I 100% know what you're talking about. And it's funny how when it all falls into place, you're like, ah, yeah, maybe, maybe, uh, and a um, uh, facial surgeon wasn't exactly what I was destined to do, but I'm going to see a lot of broken faces. And I'm the very first person they're going to see to get them to those surgeons now. Yep. So uh, the the immersion system in in Brazil, at least in São Paulo, it's uh, very similar to the European style. You know, they don't have paramedics uh, in Brazil. They have physicians that ride the rescue and nurses and uh, uh, some firefighters. So they they provide a BLS and a ALS, but uh, firefighters are not allowed to to provide any ALS. And I remember when I was a lieutenant in the fire department there, I was always hanging out with the doctors, you know, um, asking questions. Oh, so this monitor uh, how do you read it there's ekg and uh you have to go to medical school to learn that you know which we're not doctors here and we do all that on the on the streets you know and um i remember um this is back in uh 2003 i remember asking one of the doctors which i'm still he's a neurosurgeon and we're still friends nowadays and uh awesome guy i remember asking him like hey um let me take the aco last class with you he's like man you can't we we don't even allow nurses to take i'm like no but let me just go to the the class i promise i'm not gonna ask any questions i'm not <laughs> gonna touch anything i just want to see it let me let me see it and i like well it's not up to me unfortunately i can't i'm like well can i borrow your book and i remember reading the aco last book you know and uh, learning all that stuff and discussing and uh so anyways um this is something i would never be able to do and then all of a sudden um here in u.s go to paramed school and take aclas pals um P uh, phtls and uh, t c later on so anyways um when i got hired with this department I'm like okay well um uh, i'm going to stay right now i have a new career i go back to brazil i resign my position as an officer there which um this, the way the system works there, you work 35 years in the military, which either a military police or a, a military firefighter, 35 years, you retire with a 100% of our, your a pension, 100% of your salary pension. If you resign with a 34 years and 11 months, you lose all the money that you put in your entire life. You're not, you don't get vested there. So I lost 14 years 
of contributions. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, is that 18% that you pay per month there towards your retirement? So I lost all that. But still, I was decided that I was going to start a new career. And um, so I got hired with this department. I was super happy. They have a, a SWAT program there, a SWAT medic program. And I was like, well, you know what? Now I can be a SWAT medic. That's even better. So this department has a, it's one of those departments that has a three-month academy. And um, I went through the their training. And um, as um, everything in my life is never the easy to, to conquer or to accomplish, I ended up hitting another wall. Um, on the first week of a school there, I was approached by one of the instructors uh, asking me if um, it was true that I was a, a, a lieutenant at the fire department in Brazil. And um, being a, a, a student again, I knew better. You know, you, you come as a rookie, you have two years, one mouth. You listen more, you talk less until, you know, you get to know people, you, you trust people, and until you earn your respect. So it was no different. I was not going to brag about anything that I've done in the past. But I wouldn't lie. If someone asked me, I was going to tell the truth. So I told him, yeah, I, I was a lieutenant of the fire department. Oh, you a pilot? I'm like, well, I went to uh, the, the class, the, the classroom. I, I've, I've flown as, as part of the crew as a rescue swimmer, but I'm not a pilot. Um, and he like, look at me. Well, you know that here you're nothing. You're not even welcome here. And um, I looked straight on his eyes. I was in an attention position. I said, yes, sir. I'm here to learn, and I'm looking forward to uh, all the new knowledge. And um, I honestly thought that um, um, within three months, I would have, you know, be after graduation, would have been in a bar with him and, you know, like celebrating. You know, they. I thought that they were trying to break me down and uh, to see how I perform. And like, well, now you're one of us. Well, it didn't work that way. Um they picking on me the entire class, and um, there was a one task known as a um, smokehouse. That uh, back then I, I don't know if they still have this there, but back then it was known as a a, a trick or a, a technique that they used to weed people out of the class, people that they didn't like. So, um. We we had a we trained on this house multiple multiple times and uh, um, to make a long story short, I was not able to find a victim inside the smoke house, and um, apparently the victim was wasn't there, and uh, like two weeks from graduation, they said, "Well, you you failed, you either resign or you um you be fired." So I I couldn't prove that it wasn't there, but uh, there are some proofs, but I can't like prove with the facts. So, you so know? F- knowing this the story a little bit, other people had verified that you know that the the rules had changed depending on each graduate. There you go. So I ended up resigning my position there, and uh, at that time, my 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 marriage it was unfortunately we weren't doing good. We were uh, doing like a counseling and uh we ended up getting divorced so now i don't have a wife anymore and i don't have a job anymore so i didn't want to go back to guard the pool 
So I started looking for jobs and uh, they were not hiring. I was living in South Florida back then and they were not hiring in South Florida. So I expanded my search and started researching in uh, Central Florida. I applied for quite a few departments, started testing, and um, I ended up going to um, to get my 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 D and my G license to um, be a security guard and to be um, um, a guarded security guard. And um, I ended up uh, working for Wackenhut as a armed security guard medic on uh, one of those uh, high-end communities in South Florida. I did that for 10 months. It's a pretty interesting job. I would have uh, responded to burglar alarms and I would have responded to medical calls. Every time I was responding to a medical call, they would have seen me um, with a weapon, which this is, it will sound funny as well. The, the weapon that I had was made in Brazil by Taurus. <laughs> so um, people would ask, no, I need a medic, not, not a, a guard. I'm like, well, don't worry, ma'am or sir. I got you. I do both. It was pretty cool. But anyways... Um, I did that for 10 months, and then uh, I um, was offered a job in a um, couple of different departments in the south, uh, in uh, central Florida. I ended up taking uh, one of them, and um, I relocated to um, Orlando. So I started working there in uh, 2008, and um, 2009... Uh, one of the guys from my class, we, we were a very small group. We, we had, um, only five people in my class. Um, back then it was very competitive to get into that department. Um, nowadays uh, things are changing and, uh, we, we, we've been having a little bit of a hard time to get a candidates there. But anyways, um, one of my, my friends from my class ended up dying on, uh, on an accident at uh, lobster diving. And um, he was one of the closest guys for, for me. Remember that I had just relocated. You know, I, I didn't have a lot of friends in Central Florida. Um, I, I had just experienced a divorce. And uh, this guy, we were very close. And uh, I was devastated. You know, it's like my brother. You know, although we didn't, we haven't known each other for so long. But to me, he was my family. And uh, I remember on his funeral, it was it was horrible. Um, the department didn't have an honor guard. We didn't even have uh, Class A uniforms. This is where you're working now? That's correct. Yeah, okay. So it was, it was kind of embarrassing. You know, it was like, wow, um, this guy deserved better. You know, so we put, we, I talked to a few people there and uh, we convinced the department that we need an honor guard. So... Uh, we got, I think, six people together, and uh, we created, we put an honor guard together. We we came to Ocala, to the fire academy here, to do uh, some training. Well, um, I'll take that back. We came here, talked to the to them, and they sent a person to to um, give us to teach us um, right at our in our facilities. So, anyways, um, in two thousand and two. Um, I found out about the TCCC class, the Tactical Combat Casualty Care, and uh, they were um, there was a lot of uh, contractors still in Iraq, and um, I started to do some research, and um, um, 
I like I I saw an opportunity to go work as a contractor as a combat medic in Iraq. So um, I signed up for this class. It was a private school, but taught by a lot of um, um, people from the military. You know, that was uh, um, a corpsman that he was uh, part of the SARC program. Um, he worked with the recon with the Marines. Um, Jay SOC for a while. There was a combat medic there, which. Um, it's interesting how small this world is. This guy that was my instructor on that class now is a captain for my department. He's a training captain. So anyways, I took that class, was by far one of the best class I, I've ever taken. Um, it, I, I really learned a lot. I really enjoyed it. And I was um, decided to go to to uh, Middle East and work as a contractor. But when I finished, <clears throat> I found out that uh, they were pulling our troops Back and uh, the companies that I was looking uh, into apply for um, didn't have a. They were finished their contract. They're not hiring anymore. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I was kind of getting a little bored uh, with uh, with my job. We don't fight a lot of fires at the department where where I work at. Uh, I think well, most department nowadays it's more EMS, but. Uh, there's a specific department. Um, it's very unique, and uh, most of the calls they are um, EMS, and uh, we get some legit calls, but we have a lot of uh, customer service calls. Bullshit calls. I'll <laughs> you, say it for you. You said <laughs> <laughs> so. Great department. Don't get me wrong. I love working there, but um, um, I, I was used to work in in Brazil, a high speed department. People jumping out of uh, buildings, you know, fires in the slums, and uh, you fight a fire for 24 hours sometimes there, you know, overhauling for over for days. And uh, now I'm working, I'm happy to be a firefighter paramedic, but, you know, I'm treating a lot of boo-boos. And uh, I'm almost feeling like I'm a lifeguard again and uh, watching a pool. So uh, the plan to go um, as a contractor didn't work. And then uh, I was like, you know what? Um, I want to challenge myself. That's how I drive myself. You know, I normally I make uh, short-term goals, mid-term goals, and long-term. I always try to see myself a year from now, five years, and ten years. So uh, I remember that uh, right after that, one of the guys that worked at the fire department, it was uh, December, and... Um, he came to me and said, hey, do you want to uh, run a marathon with me in January? I was like, do what, dude? Yeah, let's run a, a marathon. You know, they have this uh, marathon at the parks, and uh, let's uh, race that. I'm like, are you out of your mind? I'm not going to do that. And I remember him uh, teasing me like, oh, you can't do it, Raphael. I'm like, no, I can. I don't want to do it. Why am I going to run? I'm like, ah, I know why. You, you can't do it. I'm like, oh, whatever. So I'm driving home on that day, and all I could hear in my head was him saying, you can do it, Raphael. You can do it. And I was like, ah, I can't do it. I don't want to do it. Well, by the time I get home, I go on the website, and I sign up for the, <laughs> for the marathon. So January 2012, uh, I did a one month of training. And uh, by then... The furthest I have ran, it was like a 10K. So in 30 days, I, I trained as I could for the marathon. And uh, <laughs> to find out that I finished the marathon one hour ahead of that guy, <laughs> really? which was my best medal. <laughs> you know that guy. You worked with him. <laughs> you, have to, you have to tell me who it was after. 
I will. So, anyways, um, you know, I finished. Um, I the last two uh, miles, I struggled a little bit. I kind of hit a wall, and I was, I was like, "Geez, this is this sucks." <laughs> you know, I didn't prepare enough for it, and and every time um, that I was feeling like it was hurting a lot, the voice in my mind was like, "You can do it. You can do it." And I was like, "Well." I can. I so how you heard it from an hour behind you, though. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. So um, when I finished, I had that feeling like, wow, I can do whatever I want. You know, it's just a matter of uh, how much time and effort I put towards whatever goal um, I, I come up with in life. You know, if I struggle, I... I if I don't give up, I can get through. You know, if you give up, you give up. You will never get back. So, um, for years, when I was a firefighter in Brazil, I had a lot of friends that they used to raise the Ironman, and they were always inviting me. I was like, oh, that's insane. I would never do that. The first thing that I, I came to my mind when I finished that marathon, it was like, hmm, maybe I can uh, um, run an Ironman. So... For about a week, uh, I was uh, I started to research and look and uh, you know what it takes. And um, in two weeks, I bought a bicycle. And uh, there was a half Ironman in May, like only four months after here in, in Florida, in Haines City. And I was like, you know what? I'm gonna sign up for this race. Were you a good swimmer by that point with all the rescue training you've been doing? Yeah, I mean, I was, I was, I'm still very comfortable in the water, you know. Uh, I just had to to practice, you know, because all the training I did in Brazil, it was good. And um, matter of fact, uh, I started taking the swimming classes when I was a, I was a kid. The doctor told my my parents that uh, swimming would uh, uh, strengthen my core and it would help with uh, um, my um, respiratory system and you know. And uh, I've been swimming my entire life. Now just to jump in, because I wanted to to ask you this: when you think of São Paulo from a foreigner, so all you're getting is you know news and documentaries and those kind of things you have you know in brazil these beautiful lush rainforests and you have as you said some slums you know i mean and everything in between when you think of people that have respiratory problems a lot of times you kind of reverse engineer to some sort of allergen and or environmental element did you grow up somewhere where where you lived might have contributed to your respiratory problems well, São Paulo is, uh, like I said, is one of the, the biggest, I think the fifth or sixth largest city in the world. It's, it's literally a concrete jungle. Um, when I tell people, sometimes when I tell people I'm from Brazil, they say, oh, you're from the Amazon. Like to go to Amazon is like a four hours flight. Uh, the place where I grew up, it's more like um, uh, Manhattan or LA or Chicago. That is a lot of pollution. A uh, lot of traffic is very noisy. It's like a high speed, a lot of crimes, a lot of drugs. It's a good city. Uh, you know, it's the best place. They have uh, all kinds of food there, like the cuisine there. It's, it's awesome. But as any other big city, it has its problems. And um, I was in a place where the air is not that good, you know, and it didn't help me at all. It was hard. So, but thank God, uh, during my... Um, um, my teens, uh, it went away and never, I never had a problem again. And I guess I just grew and, uh, you know, and, uh, 
cure myself. I don't know <laughs> what it was. I did uh, so many treatments that I, I don't know exactly what, uh, what helped me. Now, were you, this is going to sound like such a bizarre question. Were you born vaginally or C-section? It was, uh, I was the only, I was the only child that was born by C-section actually. So it's interesting because as I learn more and more about gut biota and, you know, um, you know, gut flora and all those things, there are all those organisms in the vagina that we're supposed to get covered in when we're born naturally. And that's one of the unknown kind of side effects of C-section. Of course, if you need to be cut out, you know, for whatever reason, then it is what it is. But in America now, we have this culture where you, you know, you go on Google and you pick your birth you know, time and, oh, I think I'm going to be 10.30 so I can get to Starbucks by 12. You know, I'm, I'm being sarcastic, but we don't wait for when the baby's ready. We These OBs will schedule when you're going to be poured out. And so if we're not getting what ultimately is the very beginning of your immune system by a vaginal birth, you're missing a lot of that resilience. And I guarantee you, I'm not a, you know, immunologist, but if you look at the data, I, when it comes to allergies and the kind of things that you suffered, I bet it correlates to C-section versus vaginal birth as well. And then you add the environmental element, which is the the allergen. Now you've got a lower immune system and you're born into a very polluted city. It's kind of like the perfect storm for, for health issues. Yeah, it was it was rough. I, I still have a lot of uh, seasonal allergies. I, I did some treatments, but... I still mainly here in Florida when it's um uh it's spring it, for me it, it's always um very rough you know I have to use a nasal spray take Zyrtec and all this stuff but anyways I I I I don't have the asthma problem which that was major in my early years you know young years so but anyways so um um I just finished the marathon and um couple of weeks after I buy this bicycle and I sign up for the half Ironman in the Haines City in Florida, which I finished just fine. And uh, now I'm feeling like, wow, that's awesome. I, I wish I had started this earlier, you know, and uh, there was um, um, many different places offering the, the same race. And um, I thought, um, well, maybe I'll, I'll race a couple more half uh, Ironmans and then I'll sign up for a full one and on the same year 2012 they had um, one in Thailand and uh, I'm looking at I remember looking at a, uh, on the website of prices and costs and I started you know like mm, this sounds like a phenomenal opportunity to uh, you know just challenge myself and go on a trip and then first uh, I decided I was going to spend two weeks there and then I started to look at uh, uh, other stuff to see. I'm like, well, maybe I can uh, spend a month. And then I started to look. And uh, there was many other countries in South Asia. I was like, ooh, but what if I include this, include that? Well, it turns out that um, I did a lot of uh, time trades at the fire department. And I spent three months backpacking in South Asia. So I went to Phuket, south of um, Thailand. I raised the Ironman there, which kind of kicked my ass because the elevation was different. And in Florida, we trained on the flat uh, terrain here. But it, it was awesome. And then I went to Philippines, uh, scuba diving, and spent like uh, 10 days of scuba diving. I went all over Thailand, different islands, PP Islands, Similan Islands, uh, went to Bangkok, um, and then went to Chiang Mai, north of um, Thailand. And then took um, a boat trip, a two-day trip uh, on Mekong River, 
and went to uh, Luang Prabang in, in Laos. From there, I flew to Vietnam, went to Hanoi, took a train, went to Hue, visited the Kuchitanos, where we had a lot of uh, um, fights there. We we had a, a, a lot of uh, fights there. The Marines were there. And uh, um, anyways, I saw a bunch of... Uh, um, um, equipment that was left behind and anyways uh went to uh uh Ho Chi Minh City uh, which was a uh, Saigon called in the, in the past went to the museum there that talked about the war anyways was a very interesting um place to to learn about history you know and uh, the past so from there I ended up going to Indonesia went to Bali and then I went to um Went to Japan, and then I ended up, after three months, I went to California, drove along the coast there, went to Alcatraz, was looking into, that is a, a triathlon there called the Escape of Alcatraz. You go to the island, you swim to the shore, and then you bike and, and, and you run, which um, I ended up not doing. Uh, it was a great trip, but I never went back. So anyways, I came back, you know, um, I kind of, was I was having fun, but um, I didn't have a lot of friends to uh, train with for the Ironman, and I ended up um, getting bored of training because uh, those long distance triathlon it takes a lot of training. You know, you have to condition your body to swim a lot, run a lot, bike a lot, and uh, I don't know. Being by myself um, for a long period of times, start getting bored it was boring, so. I ended up um, stopped doing that, and um, I was like, "Well, what I'm going to do next?" You know, um, I don't think I mentioned I was already in twenty, yeah, twenty oh oh twenty no twenty twelve. Okay, yeah, I was in twenty ten. I joined the special operations. Uh, teams at the fire department so i had to take a rope rescue ops tech uh hazmat uh confined space and all that um but um we 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 don't i don't think we train enough on, on our department you know and uh, i wanted to spend more time on ropes and um i i i realized that i was spending more time responding to calls that it doesn't require a lot of training, you know, when you have to come with a Band-Aid or just say, well, go to a clinic or take Tylenol and you'll be fine. And, um, you know, uh, I wanted to better myself. So um, I remember watching a, an advertisement about the military uh, on the TV. Did it have jet skis and rock music? <laughs> it probably did. Yeah. <laughs> So I remember um, watching this uh, advertisement and uh, I was like, wow, I miss being in the military. But by then I was already 39 years old. I was like, ooh, I can still join. And uh, I mean, four years, I remember like it was like waves. Uh, Sometimes I'm like, oh, I'm going to join. I'm going to join. And then I'm like, nah, I've done it. You know, I'm too old for this. They will deploy me right away. They will send me... Uh, to a different country and so anyways <clears throat> that year was different it was a 2014 I was 20 uh, I was 39 years and a half and when I saw that advertisement I was like "Ooh, now is my last chance should I do it should I do it and uh, there was a voice in my heart telling me 
how you how are you going to deal with uh the thought of uh missing that opportunity are you going to regret for the rest of your life or are you, you going to take this opportunity so um I ended up enlisting in 2012. So I went to different um, recruiters, different branches. Uh, I, I remember talking to one recruiter in the Army. He said uh, that uh, I could be an officer with my military training in Brazil and with my, my degree. I could be, become an officer, but it was to be uh, logistics. And I was like, that's not my passion. You know, just for the status of being an officer... But uh, I know that uh, it would be like selling Bibles again. You know, I would be counting boots, beans, bags, belts. You know, that's what supplies officers do. You know, they supervise logistics, which, I mean, it's a great job. Don't get me wrong. But it's just not me. It's not my passion. And I was already a paramedic. I was like, you know what? Um, came up with this plan. I'm going to enlist as a corpsman and only as a corpsman. If I don't get the, the, the billet or the, the rate as a corpsman, I'm not going to enlist. And if I do get, I will get my foot in the door. I'll go to nursing school. I'll get my bachelor's in nursing. And then I'll apply for the nurse corps. And I'll become an officer again. That, now I can be an officer and do what I like. So anyways, uh, in uh, October of uh, 2014, uh, I packed a... Um, um, well, actually, I didn't pack because you, you're not allowed to bring stuff. But uh, I was on my way to Great Lakes in uh, Illinois to uh, go to the Navy boot camp. And um, it was a little over two months boot camp. Um, for me, it, was, uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't very challenging. That's how I see it. You know, after spending four years in an academy to become an officer where they, they crush you every single day. You know, they make things super hard so you can be a leader. They, you know, they want you to lead by example. The two months there, it, it wasn't very challenging. I think my biggest challenge was uh, being an older guy among young people there. You know, you get all those 18, 19 old um, kids, you know, recruits. And uh, hanging out with them there, it was like being uh, in a high school drama again. You know, they were talking about stuff that I was like, I'm not interested in this conversation. And, uh, you know, they wanted to to stay awake at night, uh, all night long, just dicking around. And, you know, and I was like, geez, I'm tired. I need to get some rest. And I remember w one day at night, uh, the, uh, a fight is about to, to, to break in our uh, compartment there. And um, I was on the top of my uh, bunk bed. And I'm telling them, go to bed, go to bed. And they would. I'm like, if you guys make me get out of bed here, this is going to get ugly. So they kept, they kept being loud, being loud. So I ended up getting, uh, getting uh, off my, my bed and went there. I'm like, all right. And I was being very loud. Uh, you guys want to fight? Line up. Let's fight here now. And, you know, that was a bunch of uh, skinny people because they're 18 i'm 40 you know i'm heavier than them there was some kids there that they probably would have whooped my ass <laughs> but you know i still have to you know like okay well you guys and they're like come on man be quiet uh, our chief will come here and we'll get in trouble I'm like well i don't care you know if we all get kicked out i go back to my job at the fire department and you guys have no future you know you go, you go back to your mom's house so 
anyways, uh, they were like, oh, man, let's go to bed. This guy's crazy. You know, he has one of those old men's strength, and uh, he's going to kill us here, and we'll get in trouble. So anyways, it worked. They went to bed. I went back to bed. But anyways, I graduated there, went to Corman School, went to um, San Antonio for Sam. Uh, Corman School was was fun. I could um, leave every night. You know, um, they knew that I was a paramedic, so they taught me EMT, which you know was it was fairly easy. You know, yeah, I was been doing refresher. this for yeah refresher. Uh, they taught me some new skills like nursing skills that was cool. But again, my my biggest challenge was uh, they made me the leading petty officer, so I had to manage it. It was like herding cats to uh, get all those uh, sailors together. You know, they weren't getting good scores, good grades, and they wanted me to teach them, but they didn't want to learn. So uh, it was a little bit frustrating, you know, but I, I, I had a goal. I didn't give up, and I graduated, came back to um, to the fire department, and I, I enlisted as a reservist. I've, uh, so far, I've, I've been in for eight years, and uh, in the reserves the entire time. So um, I started to, when I, I got back to the fire department and um, I started traveling a little bit and uh, got to the point that I've been over to more than 50 countries right now. You know, I just enjoyed traveling. I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to stay in the reserves. I'm going to stay in the fire department. We're going to travel a little bit and then um, I'm going to apply for nursing school. So I had that to travel. The plan was to travel for one year, you know, here and uh, here and there, you know, short trips and then apply for nursing school. Well, um, I kept pushing and pushing. And then uh, six years after, I was still traveling and not in nursing school. So I have just recently finished all the prerequisites for nursing school. I was planning, uh, actually, I applied for the program. I was supposed to start the program in, uh, in Daytona in January. But I was uh, just recently um, selected for a billet on um, um, one of the uh, NSW units uh, in the U.S. Navy. And uh, I got orders. I'm attached to uh, one of uh, their units, the Navy uh, Special Warfare. And uh, now... Um, as part of the requirements, I have to have an NEC, which I don't have, um, which basically is a qualification. Uh, you have to go to um, 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 a field mad uh, technician school, which is about um, a little over two month class that you take with the Marines and uh, basically teach uh, all the corpsmen how they operate. You know, they go over TCCC and, uh, you know, formation and all the, you know, the way that they do in the Marines. And um, so it's a requirement for me now. And um, I'm excited to be with this unit. I, I have met a, um, a lot of uh, new people. Um, um, for the most part, every single one of them have has a lot of experience uh uh, in combat, you know, um, it's, it's been, um, I haven't been uh, with them for for long yet, but uh, so far I'm enjoying it. And uh, now I have to uh, take this class, which uh, lately I've been um, um, preparing for it. Um, hopefully will be the first semester next year. Um, I'll be taking this class. I'm sure I'll be the oldest guy again. I'm 47 now. And um, I'll be running with the young young guys again, and uh, 
crawling into mud, getting yelled at, you know, going to the shooting range, learning new skills, and um, I'm really, really uh, looking forward to it, you know. Um, my lifestyle hasn't changed much, but uh, my workout uh, changed a little bit. Um, lately, I was uh, lifting more than doing a cardio, and now I'm uh, focusing on uh, endurance and uh, strength as well, but more in the endurance, and um, I'm not focused on uh, size anymore, you know. Um, normally, I would have focused on, uh, you know, look a little buff, you know, buff and uh, strong, and now I, I actually don't want to have that at all. I want to be as uh, skinny as I can. I, I don't even care if I'm not, I don't have to be too lean, because I need a little bit of fat uh, during the, the this class, but um, I have to have a lot of endurance for sure, you know, a lot of calisthenics. So, yeah, that's where I'm at right now, you know. Um, 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 I'm sure that this is uh, just uh, one challenge of a many that uh, I'm going to face, Um I might end up getting deployed right after this class. Um, this unit, they deploy a lot. And um, I, I'm looking forward to it. You know, um, last year, um, I got married again. Um, me and Jennifer uh, have been together for four years. We had a beautiful ceremony in, in the U.S. I had my friends from the fire department, my brothers from the Navy, and um, we were lucky enough to be able to have a, a ceremony in Brazil, uh, which was this March. Um, we had a military honors there. I had all the guys that, with, for the most part, they're all coronals now. You know, they were there on uniform, crossing sabers. And uh, it was a very unique experience. So, you know, um, it's interesting how uh, opportunities in life come in uh, different times. So... You know, I'm going through things now that normally people go at a young age. So I'm starting a family again now. And but now is the time that I had this opportunity. So I put the the plan to start nursing school on standby for now because I didn't want to miss this, the opportunity to to work with this uh, unit. And um, hopefully when I come back, I'll get right back into nursing or I'll, I'll get deployed and uh, we'll see what's going to happen, you know. Um, one thing for sure, I know that uh, God has some plans, you know. He always had and he al always showed me reasons why. It's not on my time, you know, it's on his time. So, and um, we'll see what what is happening next, man. Beautiful. Well, I mean, firstly, thank you for leading us through your journey. Obviously, you and I met in 2013. So, you know, we've known each other for what, nine years now. Um, but that was, I guess, right before you enlisted. But, uh, I think it's just so powerful to hear this journey you've come through. I mean, physically, you were a sick child and, you know, now look at the physical feats, whether it's the, the triathlons or joining this, uh, elite, group of war fighters you're about to be attached to but also that one door closes another door opens element you know i mean there's a lot of people out there that are walking the walk you know, as i we talked about before we hit record you know when i had jocko on here you know i painted the picture like what if you do have extreme ownership what if you are that go-getter that's trying to make a difference but you're just being suppressed by where you work ironically where you work now is that place for me where i where i left and 
decide to make a difference from the outside. But it is important to hear these stories. Like if you're somewhere, whether it's, you know, you're, you're unhappy with leadership or, you know, like the, the law enforcement side, your, your life or your family's life might be in danger, whatever it is, you are not shackled to that one path just because you've told yourself that's the way I'm supposed to go. You had no idea that you were going to be a firefighter paramedic in America and you'd be serving the US, you know, in uniform. Um, but that's what happens. These doors close and open. So I think it's amazing. Congratulations on the wedding. And, uh, I'm excited to hear more about, you know, the medic side from the, the military. Um, I want to circle around back to not specifically your childhood, but, a couple of things about Brazil um, you can either myth bust or, or, or kind of enlighten us on. And then I want to get your your perspective on just kind of the fire service in general with this different lens that you have. When I think of some of the dark stories that I've heard coming from urban Brazil, um, you know, the, the street children and some of the, the executions that you heard about, what is your perception of that? You know, in in São Paulo, what is what is creating some of these issues that are you know creating gangs and, and homeless children, for example? And then was that a thing, or is that something that was kind of um, misunderstood by journalists outside Brazil? Well, um, Brazil is going through a very challenging um, situation right now. You know. Um, I don't see very often here on the news, but um, um, the economy there, um, it was growing for the past four years. And uh, now they just had elections uh, about a month ago. And a former president that was uh, in jail for corruption was was able to... um, run for elections and he won same thing happened in Hialeah with the mayor exact same thing there you go yeah so but the thing is the judges that took that former president from jail uh were the one that were appointed by them to to take that position when he was a president and um they say that he was he was prosecuted in a different uh state they it should have had been a federal so basically they they erased all the crimes and they not prosecuted him again and they made him eligible again and he won and that is very controversial because um for years they trying to change the law there because it's all electronic and they wanted um to be able to audit and the supreme court don't want uh the election to be audited and uh, a study was hired from a private company, uh, which the professionals that work for this company graduated in the best schools and universities in Brazil. They experts on that matter, that subject, and uh, it shows that 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 is stuff wrong, that the, the election ha- had problems. And the Supreme Court said, well, it's anti-democratic that um, if you don't accept the the results, you have to just accept. So that sounds very familiar <laughs> to us here in the U.S. Like my, my thing with that whole thing is like, yeah, I mean, it should be democracy. It should be one, well, one vote, you know, per person. But when you start off with this list of people from either side, there should be more than two sides, but 
and no one was vying for the two people that ended up on the card from left and right. You know, to me, that's that's always questioned it. So, oh, you know, there's this big uproar. Oh, so-and-so didn't win. Well, none of you should have been there in the first place. There are great candidates on both sides and none of them even got close. That, to me, in, in the US is how we know it's a corrupt system because they just handpick who they want running and then we have all these different kind of loopholes of you know, electoral college and all these things that change the balance when ultimately it should be verified one person, one vote, our politicians not slagging off the other ones, but saying, here's what I'm going to do. And here's my background. Here's how I'm qualified. You know, so it's funny. We beat our chest about democracy, but, you know, I think our system is completely broken and we need to completely overhaul it in the U.S. as well. Yeah. Um, Brazil is a beautiful country, man, uh, with a beautiful people. You know, unfortunately, because of uh, politics, you know, the citizens are paying the price. Uh you know, um, children are starving and the crime is raising. And uh, and um, I hope not, but it looks like uh, dark times are coming to to that country. You know, um, um, I really hope that they they turn the the right way because the the way it's going right now, I don't think it will be the the best for for the country. So. Now, tell me about this guy because I, I don't know if I'm getting confused with Brazil or another nation, but was he one that had very racist undertones as well? Or am I thinking of a different country? Someone just got elected again who, um, you know, is going to be very dangerous for certain groups within that country. But I don't know if it's Brazil or if I'm getting confused. Yeah, the one that just got elected, he's an extremist uh, left party. And um, he's the one that has connections with Cuba, with Venezuela, and supports all those uh, communist countries. So I don't think I don't think I have to tell you more about it. You kind of kind of figure out where things are going there. Yeah. So. All right. Now, what about with the 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 street children? When you know back in the day, was that something that blew up in Brazil? That was that a real thing that was happening by some of these? I'm assuming corrupt police or whatever it was that that they were executing street children. Yeah, I remember you. Um, now that you mentioned, I remember a long time ago they. They they had those those issues there, and that they blame it on the militias. Um, that is always two stories, uh, two sides of the same story. You know, uh, there's a lot of fake news back then. That was fake news as well. We just didn't have a social media. You know, people would do something wrong and would blame on someone else. You know, that they will um, uh, kill kids and they will blame on the police department. Well, we can't tell who it was because the the, uh, the guys who who kill the kids they had masks so uh, it, it's hard to to say you know as uh, someone from the military um which the military for me it was always it, it's like family you know you allowed to criticize your mom your dad and your brother and your sister but if someone else does it's like no wait a minute you're not part of the family so that's how i feel about the military and mainly in, in, in brazil and here in in us the, the same you know now I, i'm a citizen here i'm military i'm dedicated here i i i sworn you know i have an oath um to uh die for this country if i have to and i will and in Brazil, it's the same, same, same thing. So, um, you know, uh, we have a lot of people that criticize the military or the public service, but they never um, walk that walk. They never served 
Like we have a lot of uh, uh, social media specialists and uh, public safety, but they never went to police academy. They never went to university to really learn about it. But they all wanted to give their opinion about, oh, this is what they should do. This is what they shouldn't do. It's like, uh, why don't you go to school? Why don't you become a police officer and face all the challenges that we have? You know, um, yes, they have a lot of problems there. But I can guarantee for the most part, I mean, with a zero doubt for the great most part, it's a, a group of a, a hundred, at least for Sao Paulo, okay, which is where I came from, uh, that is, is a hundred, one hundred thousand men with a good heart, uh, all working hard with a, um, a very um, uh, little salary. They they get unpaid. They they overwork a lot of hours. They don't get paid overtime. They're not allowed to have unions to fight for them. So you know, I think that for what they get, the respect that they get from from the community in general, and what they 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 get paid for, they work way more than uh, uh, they 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 should they should get paid way more for what they the amount of work that they do. You know, so. Hopefully one day we'll change as well there. Absolutely. Well, I want to get your perspective on fire service and or anything in, in this country. So you have traveled an immense amount of time, as you mentioned, all through Southeast Asia and, you know, a lot of uh, Central South America. And it, to me, traveling gives you a very different lens on the world. And you start going to places and go, wow. I love the way this country does this. I love the way this country does that. So, I mean, I talk about this all the time here. Finland's school system, Norway's um, prison system, Portugal's drug policy. I mean, you can pick the best of each country and knowledge share and raise all the other countries up as well. There's a lot of things we do very well in the U.S. that we can share with the rest of the world. With all this traveling and all the different roles that you've held in Brazil and here, are there areas either within the fire service or maybe it's outside the fire service where you look at somewhere else and go huh if only we would just bring this to america this would work so well well i can tell you this um here in the united states we have one of the best uh fire service that i've i've seen it i think it's great that we have paramedics uh you don't have to put someone through a university for 10 years to be a medical doctor to uh, provide a, uh, advanced life support. So, you know, here, I think it's great. But um, not every department is the same. You know, we have great departments, but uh, there are some departments out there that sucks. Oh, I know. Their, their, leadership, <laughs> their leadership sucks, you know, um, and even under trained or they overworked and uh, I mean, but the system itself, I think is great. It's um, they, as a paramedic, you, you can do so much like uh, so many things you can do to save a life, which is, is amazing. You know, the, the fire department, um, normally you get promoted once you have experience and you take one step at a time, you climb the, the, the ladder, you know, and eventually you'll be a fire chief by then. Hopefully, you were already a medic or EMT, and you were a firefighter, and then you became an engineer or a driver operator, and then you became a lieutenant, a captain, and now when you're a chief, you have walking on every kind of shoes. You have all those hats. You know, some departments doesn't work like that. So 
that's that's not a good thing. But in general, I think we have a great system here, you know. But like anything in life, that is always space to improve on anything we do, you know. So, I, I personally really love the system here. Um, um, I really identified myself as a a, a real fireman here. You know the system and the, the way the fire they teach uh, the uh, fire academy paramedic school. I mean, um, not criticizing other uh, countries. You know, the, sometimes they want to have a better um, system, but they don't have the budget. You know, or the training. But anyways, to me, my opinion, we're top notch here in the United States. So, what about other countries, though? Other things it doesn't have to be the fire service. Are there any systems or things that you've seen in other nations that you're like, wow? I mean, I'll give you a perfect example. I grew up in England, NHS, when fully funded, the idea that you don't, that everyone has, has health insurance, everyone is covered. You get hit by a car, I take you to the hospital. The first thing they ask me is, you know, Raphael's name, not your social security number, so they can start billing you while you're bleeding on the fucking table. So the NHS to me is amazing when it's funded properly. That is something I wish that we could find a version of here, that we would take care of the elderly, the young, the infirm, but have it in a way that it promotes proactive health than the rest of the nation. Right now, we have a profit-based healthcare system, which is why 70% of our country is obese or overweight, because that is the customer. They're not dead, and they're not healthy, the two enemies of the <laughs> the, you know, the profit-based healthcare system. So that is something I would bring from another country. There are any places around the world, and it can be anything at all in, in life. Uh, well... Um... The healthcare system, I think Germany and uh, Canada, um, I like the the way it is, which is similar to um, what you guys have in the UK. You know, um, I I think that is a lot to be improved here in the United States. We we have a good um, um, medical service here. We have a great uh, professionals, but uh, the cost and then the the pharmaceutical companies you know that when they try to sell certain type of stuff that they they their goal is a profit is like when they trying to make money that's not you know really good to the population so germany and canada i, I thought it was good uh, now in general um one of the things that i love about traveling is uh learning different cultures you know, it really opens your mind. I remember going to um, Japan, how polite people are there and how they respect their elders, you know, and uh, I, I think it's amazing. Um, last week, actually, I had a call and uh, was this couple from, from Japan and uh, he barely uh, spoke English. But um, after helping them, it, it ended up that it turns out it was not a transport. You know, it was a simple call. She had a fever. And so anyways, it gave him the, you know, um, that speech. You take Tylenol, you take Advil, you hydrate, you rest and you should be fine. If you need anything else, you know, call us back. Uh, unless you want to go to the hospital, take it to the hospital. So they decided not to go. But at the end, the, the, they said it like, thank you, like uh, maybe 50 times. You know, they put their hands together and they were like bowing a little bit, you know. And I was like, wow, that's very polite. I, you know, I, I really love the, the culture there. Um, Indonesia in, uh, in Bali, which um, was the place where I visited, I found the people from Bali being one of the people with the the easiest smile 
you know, um, it has to do with the religion as well. Um, you know, it's, um, they believe in that uh, you do good, you get good. It goes back to you. So I remember that, um, uh, security guard of the hotel helped me to, um, um, plan some of the, the things that I was going to do. And, uh, you know, as here in the U.S., we, we go to a restaurant, what we do, we, we tip, right? We tip. That's a way to recognize the service or, you know, you, you park your car, you, you valet, you, you tip the guy. So, I, I tried to tip uh, that guy in uh, Indonesia and uh, he wouldn't take the money. I'm like, no, take this, man. Uh, you know, get, get yourself something. Like, no, you're my friend. Friends don't, don't, don't charge, don't do it for money. I, it was kind of like a slap in my face. I'm like, well, here's the only thing I can do, you know. Uh, how, uh, how can I, I give back to you? And he said, uh, you already did. You're a nice person. You came here to know my culture. You know, it's, uh, it's my job to be your friend. You, you were polite to me. That is no money involved here. I was like, wow, you know, it was a good experience. You know, I've never thought about that until you just said that. But I understand financially the tipping culture based on the, you know, the, the wage scale system in the service industry. You know, it, they're set at minimum wage so that the tips fund it. But it does kind of invalidate gratitude, you know? It really does when you think about it. It's like, well, I'm going to give you this money, you know, while I don't look in you in the eyes, you know, and not talk to you, acknowledge you, versus, like you said, if, if you're in a culture that doesn't tip, I mean, the UK is starting to kind of push towards that a little bit, but we didn't unless it was, you know, exceptional, exceptional service. Um, because, you know, the the people in the restaurants were paid a full salary and, you know, they did it well. You showed gratitude by, you know, saying thank you and smiling and doing all the things that normal human beings do. When you monetize that, it does detract from gratitude a little bit. And I never thought, now you can obviously be a, a beautiful person and, you know, an extra tip or whatever is, is like an, an above and beyond way of saying thank you. But you're right. The currency is still money. Even when you get shitty service, there's an expectation that you're going to tip anyway. So I think that it's in one way it's created good customer service and you get some super amazing bartenders and, you know, servers, etc. But it does kind of dehumanize gratitude a little bit. I never thought of it that way. Yep. So talking about gratitude, um, a few years ago, um, I was on duty at the fire department and I stopped by a grocery store to buy stuff for dinner. And uh, when I was in line for the cashier, um, to pay for the stuff that is this uh, uh, short, very old lady paying her stuff right ahead of me. And um, I put my stuff on the on the counter there and uh, she told the, the lady, um, I'm going to pay for all this stuff that this gentleman behind me is uh, buying. And I look like, whoa, it's not like you're getting me a drink, you know, that was a meal for a, for, for a night, for a um, four people and then uh i heard her saying that and i was like oh I can't, I can't let her you know spend her money on us you know and i said oh ma'am that's very nice of you thank you but you don't have to do this thank you so much She's like no but i want to i'm like well thank you ma'am you you don't you really don't have to do this and she like she kind of hit me on my face when she said <laughs> uh, she said uh well um I'm grateful for your service. If you don't want to let me do this for you, let me do it for myself. 
that was hard to to take. You know, I, I thought I was being nice by not accepting, but um, actually, I think I came out as being rude. You know, and um, I, I I put a lot of thought about that after, and uh, I was talking to um, a friend um, about this uh, this event, and uh, uh, I remember that she said, uh, "Well, um, you know what? Sometimes." Um, People can uh, uh, perceive as being rude if they're giving something to you. Uh, you should always smile and say thank you. And if you can, if you if you close enough, give them a hug as well. You know that's the best way to show gratitude. Because if you say no, uh, people will maybe they will think that they're not good enough for you. Mm-hmm. you know? even be embarrassed. So I, I I learned a great lesson on that day. So. That's amazing. What is hard though, because we come from a profession where, you know, when people say thank you for your service, I mean, I do feel embarrassed. Like, I don't think I'm doing anything special. I'm doing my dream job and getting paid for it, or I was. Um, and so it genuinely was a joy to do that for someone else. And whether it was, you know, going into a fire looking for their loved one or simply picking up their elderly husband, cleaning him up and putting him back to bed, you know, whatever in that spectrum it was you know damn well that that intrinsic self-worth is reward in itself. So when someone tries to do that, and it's hard because I, I found like, you know, the first time, no, 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 you don't have to do that. If they insist, okay, well, thank you so much. But yeah, if you keep saying no, you go from beautiful, you know, goodwill gesture to slap in the face. So it is a, a tricky one to navigate in a profession that ultimately I think the good ones have the humility to really not feel like they're anything special, therefore undeserving of that gift. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, uh, it's not easy to find that balance. You know, um, after I joined the military here in the United States, um, I had a few, uh, experience a few times I was in a restaurant. Um, I was a uh, drilling or was on order somewhere and I stopped by a place to eat. And when I, I go to pay the, the tab, someone already paid, you know, which is, which is awesome. And, uh, uh, few times I asked the the waiter like okay wh- who's the person so I can go there and thank them oh they already left I was like wow I think they really meant they weren't trying to just show off like yeah, oh I'm giving to you filming themselves it, on it, Instagram exactly yeah <laughs> so those were like heart touching experiences as well so I always make sure that I, I thank our veterans and our first responders you know so Absolutely. Well, I want to hit one more topic and then we'll go to some closing questions. I know you got to get back and go to the department again. You mentioned the tragic loss of your brother. Now you had the same similar, you know, young experience as your brother. You grew up in the same area. You had your medical, your uh, medical challenges, the ups and downs in, you know, Brazil and in the police and the fire, um, some of the organizational betrayal. When it comes to, for example, testing in that one department and then getting thrown out. So there's a lot of compounding elements that ultimately result in challenging mental health sometimes. Did you ever have any lows yourself? Um, And if you did, how did you get your way back? Or if you didn't, what are some of the things that you think helped that, you know, sadly your brother wasn't able to find in time? That's a really good question. Um, I think twice I was depressed here in the United States. Um... And it was a really tough to get out of it. I remember first time was um, the experience with uh, the first fire department here. That was a big bump in my road. 
you know, I worked so hard. Um, and then it, it was it wasn't fair the way they they did. They they didn't play a fair game, you know. And uh, there was nothing I could do but be strong. So I was depressed. I was um, getting divorced, and um, you know, um, it was uh, tough to to deal with uh, some bad thoughts. But every time I thought of my brother, you know, I thought he was there looking like, I'm there with you, you know, hang in there, you know. And um, I tried to focus on um, um, working out. Uh, every time I was getting very depressed, I'm like, let me go run. Let me go ride a bike. Let me go hit the gym, you know. Uh, or um, there was a time that I was uh, doing jujitsu here in the U.S. as well, which I'm actually planning on coming going back to it the second time was a um just a better relationship that i had and um i got really depressed because uh, i had um uh, introduced to family and then i realized that it was not working i was kind of embarrassed you know which um it's nothing wrong of a uh, change your mind or uh, changing if you make a decision in life and uh, you go on that route and realize that it was not the best option, hey, there's nothing wrong on, uh, you know, replan and change, change the, change, get a compass and look to a different point and uh, just uh, change the sail the, the other way. But, you know, um, as people say that we, a lot of times we are our own worst enemies. You know, um, I think that growing up as a, with all the challenges that I had, um, I felt like I had to prove people that uh, I was good enough, I was strong enough, you know, because I didn't want to be that a little sick kid, like a little duckling, <laughs> you know, I, I just wanted to be a, a regular kid, I want to play soccer, I want to have ice cream, you know, I want to go camping, but you can't, so I had to prove, I remember... Um, I used to uh, go to my, one of my cousin's house on the weekends. Every once in a while, I would have an asthma attack. And every time that I had an asthma attack, my aunt would call my parents. They would come and pick me up, and I would have to go home. So you know what? I, uh, many times I did. I was hiding. In the middle of the night, I was struggling to breathe, but I was on the corner. I wouldn't, I wouldn't people know. I was like, well, this has to get better because I don't want to go home. I want to have fun, you know? And um, all those challenges, I think, made me stronger, you know. And um, when I realized that um, I don't have to prove anything to anyone, you know. Um, nowadays, um, that I'm a little older, um, I realize that I can do whatever I want to in my life. I can be whatever person I am. As long as I put the time to it, as long as I'm committed to a certain plan, you know. And um, just recently, I, I heard from a master chief because I, I, I had an issue in my um, um, one of my my units, and um, I came talk to him, and he was like, uh, "Port, never allow anyone to tell you that you're not capable of accomplishing things in life." You're the only one responsible, which I already knew that, but it was really cool to hear from him. You know, he was, uh, I mean, we're about the same age, but he, he's a master chief. I'm 
first class now, you know, and it was really cool to hear about that. And um, still about the, the military, and I'll get right back to the um, depression thing. Yeah, um, this is a pretty cool, interesting experience. Um, my f previous command before the one that I'm, I'm attached to right now, um, I remember reporting to that unit and um, they don't have a lot of corpsmen on that, that unit. You know, they they do um, they work with the cargo. It's a Navy cargo uh, handling battalion, and um, you know, according with the rate, rate is the the job that you have in the Navy as enlisted. You know, they have a different um, uh, lifestyles. You know, they they pinpoint uh, skills. When you take the ASVAB, they're testing and saying, "Well, this guy has more communication skills, so he's gonna be a." Um, uh, MC uh, or oh this guy can be a corpsman he can perform this oh this guy oh this one can be a, an operator so he's we're gonna send him to buds or whatever you know he's gonna be a navy seal or whatever so anyways um on that community they don't have a lot of corpsmen and uh it wasn't very easy to uh, um what 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 is it? to blend in with them you know i mean uh, i I knew my job, I was doing my job well, but it was, I never really felt like we're like, had that bond. So anyways, one day after the, the drill, we go to um, to a restaurant, we having a beer and a, that is a, an officer there. Um, and we're talking and uh, I don't know how the conversation started uh, on the side with this officer. And uh, he said, um, you were way too humble. You over humble yourself. You're showing weakness when you do that. And I was like, what the hell does he mean by that? You know, because I was always trying to help everyone. And uh, sometimes I would even, uh, it's not that I would do their job, but I would help them to to finish their job faster. And uh, that is stuck with me for a good six months. And then after six months, we had to go through um, a test. Uh, it's called an ultra which is um, you have to go through um, a bunch of tasks and you're, you're, um, you're created on. And um, in order to be able, the battalion in order to be able to deploy, you have to get a good score. And everyone has a different task there. We have a, um, a, a guy operating the crane and we have the, the corpsman doing the paramedic stuff, you know, the first aid. And uh, there is a lot of different tasks. And um, one of my... Um, Officers there told me one of my my, my uh, OIC told me that I would have to be uh, the entire time on the on the on the field where all the tests were happening. That was more corpsman there, but he said, "Well, you're the only one that has experience, a real experience as a paramedic, and I want to there the entire time." So for an entire week, I spent like hours and hours there. They were rotating all their corpsmen, and I was there the entire time. So. One of the scenarios there, I remember, um, you know, there was some shootings and um, I took a rifle. It was like a, those uh, fake guns, you mm -hmm. know, that we... The blue we, guns. We, correct. So I took from one guy that it was supposedly was dead and I'm securing the, the perimeter and I'm putting, uh, throwing the tourniquets, you know, stopping hemorrhage and, uh, you know, firing back and using all the TCCC skills. 
basically having a lot of fun. That's what I was doing. So, you know, we passed. And, and then uh, one of the, the same officers that told me that I, I overhumbled myself came and talked to me after. And he said, hey, um, we had some complaints about your, your performance here. You were a little too aggressive uh, with some, uh, some people here. And I was like, uh, what? <laughs> too aggressive. Uh, we passed the we 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 passed the test with a, one of the highest scores ever for this evolution, you know, and I was like, "What do you mean I was too aggressive?" Yeah, you can't talk the way you talked, and uh, I was like, "Well, I think we were successful. We passed, you know. Who complained to you? Tell me who it is." And I said, "Well, I'm not gonna tell you who it is." I'm like, "Why not?" We, I, I think we did a great job. We passed. That's all it matters. And uh, we're in the military here. You know, I'm not going to baby, uh, babysit people here. Uh, send me the people who complain and I'll give him a cookie. I'll let him pick the flavor. And, 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 <laughs> and, and uh, he opened his eyes and uh, I think he, wasn't, he couldn't believe what I just said, right? And he's like, uh, no, I'm serious. You were very aggressive. And then... Uh, um, I remember telling him, I'm like, well, maybe I was, but you know whose fault it was, sir? And he's like, what is that? I'm like, remember six months ago when you, you told me that I overhumbled myself? Well, it's your fault. This is me now, you know? And uh, You created a monster. If we go to war, <laughs> um, people will complain that I was uh, too rough. We got the mission accomplished, and uh, that's it. Um, so he ended up walking away. Well, I didn't say a word. I mean, um, <laughs> he probably doesn't doesn't like me anymore. But a few months after, he got transferred, and he didn't even say goodbye to the crew that he was he used to say that. Oh, we are family, family. Like, wow, you didn't even say goodbye. So, anyways, uh, uh, back to the depression thing. Um, still to the day, um, I think of my brother um, very often. And everything I do in life, I, I feel like he's with me, you know. Uh, he was 30 when he passed. I was 21, so I'm 47 now. I have lived, I have had a longer life than he had when he passed. And the way I see is that uh, I've been accomplishing and doing all this stuff that he didn't have time to do it, you know. And uh, that's a way that I, I keep with myself, you know. Um Every time I got bullied here in the fire department, because, you know, even on the second department, I, I had an issue with, with people, some old timers. It, it, it was like a, a good old boy team, you know, bunch of uh, um, rednecks, you know, and I, I have an accent that I can't change. You know, they do too. They speak Southern, <laughs> you know, to me, they talk funny. They, they think I sound funny. I think they sound funny. But anyways, some people wouldn't even acknowledge my presence at the fire station. How interesting it is that now I see most of them only on funerals at the honor guard, working at the honor guard. And I've been working, uh, honoring them because they, they, they're getting old and uh, lots of them didn't have a healthy life. And uh, they retire and they're not enjoying life too long before they pass. Uh, I've been to quite a few funerals, which, which is sad, you know. But um, the interesting part is that almost 
I think every single one of them, when they found out that I joined the military and when they saw me with the honor guard uniform, they came thank me for my service. And uh, it's almost like, oh, now you earn my respect. But back then I was, I was a good firefighter. You know, I was doing all my chores, doing all my duty and uh, they wouldn't even give me the, the, the attention. Not, not everyone, you know, I have great friends there. You know, I, I had a great mentors and uh, good um, uh, examples, but some people, I mean, you know, if you don't learn one way, you, life will teach you uh, another way. You know, maybe when you're old and you're sick and you're about to die, you know, but at least I guess they, they're learning, you know? So this teaches me also that I always treat everyone, I'm always nice to everyone, regardless if they're a chief, if they're officers, or if they they have money, they don't have money. No, I'm nice to everyone, you know? Um, and that comes back to you. A lot of times, it will not come back to you. A lot of times, you have people uh, offending you or being a assholes but that's on them you know that's another reason to do not be an asshole <laughs> don't become one of them <laughs> so you know it's like the, the golden rule you know treat everyone as you want to be treated and uh there's um, a lot of speakers out there and the people that are very famous and the people that accomplish a lot of stuff they always say don't give up don't give up that is a reason why they this is those words are so popular and so strong because it works you know if i haven't if i have gave up when i was a kid i wouldn't be here if i had gave up when i i was depressed because i thought i was treated unfairly in the fire department maybe i wouldn't be here you know um when i got really sick when i was in um in coma not that i had a control but you know i was fighting i was fighting and um you know Keep challenging yourself. Do good to people. Be nice to people. Be kind. Be gentle. You know, and um, no matter how tough things get it, don't give up. Nowadays, mainly nowadays with the social media, there are so many platforms, so many programs, so many um, organizations out there that offers help, you know. Um, but if you don't reach out, you know, Sometimes people can read minds. You know, we see a lot of uh, military, you know, 22, I think is the, the, the last number. People every single day in the United States. That, that's crazy. You know, fire, firefighters, police officers, first responders. You know, it, it's crazy. Somehow this has to stop. But people have to understand that if you don't reach out for help, you know, don't don't be stuck in a corner, hurting all by yourself. That is help out there. Talk to someone you you trust, and, and uh, maybe that person it won't be the best one to give advice, but it will help you to guide you through, get to someone that it will provide assistance. So, yeah. Well, I think the other side of that too is you got to create an environment where people feel comfortable reaching out. You know, I mean, people, as you said, it's that they're embarrassed, they're shame, they think that they're alone, they think they're being weak, they think everyone else has got it figured out. And that's not the case. And I've touched on this story just a couple of times, I think, on 700 episodes, but you know, where you work, where I used to work, one of, no, by far my darkest day was 
returning from a funeral after we had buried one of my classmates who, you know, succumbed basically to a mental health issue himself and then was told by a bunch of whining little bitches that we took too long at the funeral and we need to apologize to the crews because they had to run, you know, run calls. That is not a brother and sisterhood environment that encourages people to reach out. That is a selfish, self-serving, cancerous, toxic environment that causes more funerals. So I think that you're 100% right. We need people to tell us we're not mind readers. But if we've created an environment, it's just kind of like I, my son in the school, they were sending all these kids like a revolving door into a Baker Act, like a, you know, a 72-hour um, hold, any kid that was basically having any sort of emotional issue. What message does that send to those children now? Hey, you know what? I'm not I'm not going to tell you what I'm hurting because you're just going to send me to that fucking center against protocol. Like they were breaking the law, basically. So you have to create that culture within your fire department as well that truly walks the walk when I mean, you're beating your chest about brotherhood and sisterhood. It's not just when you want to, you know, get outside and and with your billboard saying, oh, we're not paid enough, but you actually band together and take care of people when they're hurting. And God forbid, if someone passes away in your department, you fucking band together and you stand up behind that family and all the people that you send and you take the slack until those people there, you know, have gone through their grieving process. And I saw, you know, that the absolute worst way of doing it, we lost another lieutenant, you know, about two years later. I think some lessons were learned after that. But, you know, I've, I've seen the best, I've seen the worst. Anaheim, I would say, hands down, was at that time the best fire department. And my friend from my truck partner just came to visit last week. We're still best friends and we talk to each other when we're going through highs and lows. So I agree 100%, but we have to have that conversation about the environment. If you're playing this, you know, your lip service of brotherhood and sisterhood and you're not walking the walk in your crew and your station and your battalion and your department, then you need to look at, you know, take a look in the mirror because the way you're doing it now, you are partly at fault for these suicides and overdoses that you're having in your department. Hands down, period. Well said, brother. I agree with everything, man. Right on. <laughs> All right. Well, then after my soapbox monologue, um, let's uh, go to some closing questions so I can kind of let you get on with your day. So the first one I love to ask, is there a book or are there books that you love to recommend? It can be related to our discussion today or completely unrelated. Um, let me think of a, of a good one here. Um, there is a book that I read uh, years and years ago. Uh, I actually read a couple of times. Very easy book to read. Um, it's called uh, Jonathan uh, Livingstone Siegel by Richard Ba. It talks about uh, potential, uh, about dreams, and about passion and the uh, meaning of life. And um, this is uh, an extraordinary book. I, I really enjoy the, the message there. And um, it was written for anyone uh, that is a dreamer and is passionate about something and... Uh, doesn't feel like belong to the flock. So um, it, it's almost like it's a kid's book, but it has a, like a, a, a really deep message in it. I really like that book. Um, I also like the books. Um, there is a Brazilian author called Paulo Coelho. 
he has um he was uh, he has so many books and it was translated to Bob so many different languages any any of his books are are good uh, it it, uh, it also talks normally about always has a a motivational story behind um inspirational story you know um something i really like um his books i i read quite a few um, about 20 years ago i haven't read in a while but i really like his uh his books as well beautiful all right well then what about a movie and or documentary that you love oh there's so many of them um you know what um man of honor is um probably someone uh already mentioned this is one of my favorites you know um first because of uh teaches a a lesson about um resilience and uh, about never giving up you know the master chief that uh the the story talks about the master chief it's uh it's amazing uh obviously hollywood uh, twigs a real story here and there you know but it, it was based on a uh, true stories and um um i have a uh, two of the quotes from that that movie that i love and uh every time i'm going through some you know um tough times i i kind of those words come back to uh to my mind one of them um they they asked uh, uh the master chief uh why do you want this so much and um his his uh, he replied um because you said i couldn't do it you know imagine that how uh, the power behind those words you know who are you to tell me I can't do it? And it, you know what is funny? I just mentioned, I just told you that um, a master chief told me to never let someone make me believe that I can do something. You know, I actually never never thought about those um, uh, relations to the, the, uh, what he said in the movie, but it's exactly the same thing. And um, the other one says, uh, go and fight. Break some of your rules uh, if you have to. And um, if it gets tough, don't give up. So, you know, um, mainly on, on those uh, professions, you know, the police department, fire department, first responders and the military, um, it, it, it takes a, a, a certain type of uh, people to, to do it, you know. Uh, I mean, I, I love my careers. You know, for me, it's like... Um, uh, every time I go to work, is I is it reminds me of when I was a kid going to camping with the Boy Scouts. Oh, here, let's go have some fun, you know. Which is interesting. As a kid, you go camping, you're having fun. Now the fun is different. Well, the house is on fire, people are running out, and we're running in. That sounds like a lot of fun, you know. Well, not everyone can do that. Look how many people run out. So, you know, and. Uh, we we in order to find people that can do this, we have to have a, a tests that are able to test the capability of someone performing the job. And what I've seen is that a lot of people they gave up um, before, way before they 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 should, if if you will, because they shouldn't give up. But I remember seeing people giving up. I'm like, wow, uh, you barely started and you're already giving up. Sometimes I was actually glad that, well, I'm glad you gave up now, you know, because I don't want to be on a 
fighting on fire with someone that uh, yeah, is going to tap it, out it, on the first it, it, floor. Is, exactly, yeah. Or sometimes you see people like getting so close and then they give up. You know, those I always try to encourage, like, don't, don't, you know, don't give up, don't give up. But, you know, it is what it is. People are different, you know. Um, I try to do my best to never give up, you know, if... If I'm not tough enough, maybe I'm I'm stubborn enough. <laughs> you know, um, what is the the difference between uh, resilience and uh, stubbornness? Y you know, it's a fine point in between those. You know, I try to be both sometimes. <laughs> that being stubborn is not being smart, but anyways, you know, um, um, I try to never give up. When I put something in my mind, if I tell you, James, I'm gonna do this, bro. You wait, you know, sooner or later, I will find a way to, to do it, you know, if otherwise I won't say it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, especially with that mindset, again, with the background that we share, you have to hold that bar high in a profession where lives are at stake. And if you allow a culture to slowly slide further and further away from the ability to enact a life-saving task then shame on you as an organization. If you have people that couldn't make it up five flights of stairs or freak out when they put their mask on or go into a confined space, you know, that is an absolute liability, you know, and you need the people to your left and to your right that are prepared to not only suffer in that moment, but have spent five, 10, 15, 20 years suffering multiple times a week to make sure that they maintain that highest level of physical and mental resilience, as you said. So that is what scares me about the complacent departments is it does take a huge amount of mental preparation of physical preparation of skill maintenance in, you know, in what we are, the Swiss army knife of professions. I mean, firefighter and paramedic and all the skills that come under that umbrella. Um, God forbid we have some large incident in a very, very well-known super high target hazard. And if you're behind the eight ball, you know, the blood is on your hands. It's that simple. Absolutely. So um, there are a few other movies that I, I really enjoyed as well. Uh, Saving the Private Ryan, it was awesome movie. You know, um, Gladiator, awesome movie. Band of Brothers. I love Band of Brothers. I, I remember watching the uh, and like 24 hours, I could I couldn't go to bed. I was like, oh, let's watch one more episode. And I got addicted to it. It was like, geez, this is so awesome, you know, and, and teaches us a lot of lessons, you know, a lot laws of them. And uh, there is one more movie that uh, I almost forgot to mention. That is a movie called The Patch Adams. Yes. Laugh is Contagious. Um, it, you know how many times I have watched that movie? 17 times in really? my life. I reached out to the real Patch Adams. And then sadly, when it got to the final thing, it was, uh, I get this quite a bit, you know, we will, they'll come on if you can donate $1,000, $10,000 to their nonprofit. It's like, I do this for free. <laughs> I'm not a wealthy man, you know, so I'd love to help share the message. But if it's, you know, if it's, this is a requirement, then it's just not going to work. But, and that was, and I understand you're just trying to fundraise for your thing, but I thought that it was an amazing story and I literally tried to get the original real man on the show, but um, to no avail. Well, I, I was going to ask, actually, uh, 
suggest you to invite him. That's that's interesting that you mentioning that. But uh, again, uh, Hollywood uh, tweaked the real story a little bit so they can you know sell more. But in general, if you if you read more about it, just be, beside the movie, if you read about the real story and the the purpose of uh, um. Um, what the things that he does, you know, and uh, his uh, story to to get where he he is right now, it's is amazing. It's all about not giving up, you know. So be, uh, you have to be yourself, you know. Be yourself. Do good to people. Be yourself. Don't change your personality because people don't don't like. Oh, I don't like the way you you have your hair. You know, you comb your hair to the right. You should be too loud. Like, who are you to tell me that kind of stuff? You know, so. But anyways, that's uh, another great movie that I really enjoyed. I read the book as well, and uh, that was not even uh, DVDs. I remember I had the VHS <laughs> or that one. So, anyways, Brilliant. well, I take that as a sign to maybe circle around. It was, it was probably oh my god, at least three years ago that I wrote. So I'll just try, try again. With that being said, are there any other people that you would recommend to come on this podcast as a guest to speak to the first responders, military, and associated professions of the world? Yes, um, that is a guy that works. He's a fire inspector for a city of Miami fire department. He's a guy for, that was born in Brazil, has been in U.S. for about 30 years. Um, he was uh, now he's a fire inspector, but he was a firefighter paramedic for years. And he was part of the USAR uh, in South Florida. He was deployed to 9-11. He was deployed uh, when uh, Katrina, the, the hurricane, hit. And uh, he used to teach a lot of classes. He's a jiu-jitsu black belt, like a Pan-American champion on uh, his category. And um, he has great stories and great experience. I think he would be a, a, a really good person to be here. You know, he's uh, he's been um, not just a great mentor to me, but a, a good friend you know, uh, I love the way um, uh, he talks, you know, uh, everything that he he talks makes sense. Sometimes I get really excited talking to him and then he just stop and stay quiet. I'm like, oh, I just cut him off, you know, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's pretty cool. And then he started talking again. Um, yeah, Eduardo Cognin is one of them. That is um, one more guy. His name is uh, Sergio Jatoba. He's a special ops captain for Palm Beach County. He's a um, um, good friend of mine as well, but not just for being friends. Uh, he's a, a very technical um, professional. He knows a lot about uh, um, technical rescue teams and um, hazmat and uh, paramedic um, um, skills. So I think he would be a, a good one as well. And... Um, I have one more person also um, to refer. It just came to my mind. That is this guy called uh, Randall Fonseca. Um, he lives he lives in Brazil right now. He's he's originally from there, but um, in the early '80s, he used to uh, teach the the Navy divers in Brazil. And uh, he's one of the smartest guys that he has so many hats. It's uh, talking to him every time is like um, having a um, uh, being on a um, general history uh, lecture. He, uh, anything that you you will dis you start a discussion with him, he knows about it. It's, it's amazing. And um, here's the last one. 
when I went to paramedic school at the Palm Beach State College, my lead instructor was uh, um, Kenneth Bryan. Kenneth Bryan is a retired EMS captain for Palm Beach County. Now, Kenny is a very interesting guy. Imagine a, a, a super, super smart, dorky, cool guy. That's Ken Bryan. You know, um, a lot of times... Um, uh, he would get in so much, so deep into like a uh, medical information that was like, wow, this is paramedic level. It's going over my head now, you know. And um, he's also a, a, a chef. He um, last time I talked to him, he took classes. He can cook like amazing meals, and uh, he used to work also a part time at the coroner's office uh, harvesting um, organs. organs. And uh, he's definitely is one of the smartest guys uh, I ever talked to. And I'm sure that you will have a great interview with him. Brilliant. Well, four amazing names. So let's work on uh, trying to connect with them then. Thank you. All right. Well, then the very last um, question before we make sure everyone knows where to find you, what do you do to decompress? Um, I like to, um, I, I don't normally watch TV. But when I do, I like to watch documentaries. And for the most part, it's either military stuff or it's like a history and a geography. I like to learn about different cultures. So um, I, I like um, um, different type of food, you know. Um, I, I watch some of them. But for the, for the most part, I think um, what I do the most to decompress, uh, um, I either go for a run uh, or I'm swimming in the pool uh, listening to music, you know, and, um, or I'm spending time with my wife, you know, I love talking to her and, uh, um, she's my best friend. I guess those are the things that, uh, um, help me a lot to, you know, make me feel better. <laughs> Brilliant. All right. Well then last question, if people listening want to reach out to you, where are the best places online to, to reach out or follow? Um, I'm on social media. Um, I'm not very, very active, you know, every, um, here and then I post something. Um, but I'm on Instagram, um, just as my first and my last name, Raphael Port. I'm on, uh, Facebook. I don't use, um, Facebook that much. I hardly ever check, but, uh, Instagram, I'm always taking a quick pic and, uh, looking what is out there, you know, um, um, most of my friends from Brazil, from the military there, from the fire department, a helicopter squad, uh, my family, my, even my mom nowadays is on Instagram, which is awesome. Um, so this is the way that um, um, I use to, to kind of know what is going on there or uh, to show mom that I'm doing good here at uh, Uncle Sam's land, you know. <laughs> so every once in a while, if I don't... If I take too long to post something, she calls like, hey, um, I haven't seen any pictures lately. Are you okay? So, but yeah, it, it, I guess uh, Instagram is the easiest way. So I don't, I don't have like a, I'm not fancy, don't have my personal website, you know. Um, I haven't created any organizations, uh, you know. It's just uh, Instagram. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, I just want to say thank you. I mean, I think it's so important to hear so many of these immigration stories, a lot of times they're second generation. I hear them. It's, it's the guest parents, but you know, there's been a lot of people here on the show as guests that are first generation. Obviously myself, I'm first generation, but I, 
I feel like there was a little distortion of the immigrant story, especially the last administration. I think there was a lot of negativity. And don't get me wrong, I understand clearly the difference between illegal and legal immigration, but there was an umbrella kind of movement I think was very negative. So to hear, you know, a young Brazilian that serves in their own country and then moves over here and joins the fire service and now is serving in uniform as well in, in the military side, um, there's a lot of value to it. And obviously, you know, you and I worked together for several years in the Brazilian English combo and the rescue, listening to country music. Um, <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to, you know, relay your story today. Well, um, thanks for the invitation. Um, um, it was a really an honor to, to me to be here. Like I told you before, you know, um, I didn't think that I had a great story to to share. You, I mean, you had a so so many of a great people that accomplished so much. You know that uh, changed a bunch of stuff. They created an organization to help people. But, anyways, more than anything, it was really good to see you again and knowing that you're doing good. I'm very proud of you. Uh, I always have, you know, and uh, I'm looking forward to see you again soon, brother. Thanks again. Thank you.